0: Once upon a time, in a faraway land, there lived a king. His name was Doug, which was just about the most regal name a king could have for himself back then. But this was a long time ago, so it was also a kind of backwards barbaric land, duh, that still hadn't even discovered the letter U. So instead of Doug, let's call him Dog. One day... King Dog called together his most trusted advisors and said, look guys, cause obviously this was also a land without gender equality. Barbaric, yes I know. Look guys, this whole ruling thing is a real drag. People come to me with all their problems and expect me to fix them lickety split. And nobody can fix problems better than me. I'm the best problem fixer I know but they all tell me different things, fake news, and I never know what to believe. It really sucks for me, you guys, and I'm the king. So put your heads together and fix this. I need one capital T truth to make all this crazy stuff more easier for me, okay? And get this to me quickly. I don't wanna have to chop off any of your heads. So, Dog's advisors went off, intent upon keeping all of their heads. Well, except for a few advisors that the rest found particularly annoying, that kind of wanted their heads gone, but that, that's a different story altogether. But true to form, they found a solution and brought it back to the king lickety-split. And the solution they presented was brilliant. Uh, here's how we see it, king. By no fault of your own, of course, you are troubled by ignorance, so you need knowledge of all things. You are troubled by imprecision, so you need something that is precise. You are troubled by uncertainty, so you need certainty. And we have figured out how to give you all those things. I like it, said King Dog. Keep going. So they did. Dear King, the most common problems you deal with, by no fault of your own, of course, are land disputes. If you had an exact map of the entire kingdom, a map that showed precisely where everyone's property lines are... Could we build walls around these property lines? I really like walls. Of course you could build walls, but just hear me out here. You would see-all and know-all down to the most precise detail and have far less uncertainty to deal with. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, know-all, see-all, I like it, I like it a lot, said King Dog. Go do it. So they did. Now, I could tell you in excruciating detail how the map, in order to provide even more certainty, precision and knowledge, developed and changed over time to include not only exact property lines and walls, don't forget the walls and walls, but also every minute piece of property owned by any citizen, food, clothing, livestock, kitchen utensils lady friends, etc., as well as exactly where all these citizens themselves were at any given time. Last week, Japanese scientists placed
1: explosive detonators at the bottom of Lake Loch Ness to blow Nessie out of the water.
0: And I could tell you how in order to fit all these precise details into the map, the map had to be drawn exactly to scale, until said map was as large as the entire kingdom itself. And I could tell you how in order to keep said map as accurate as possible, each citizen was tasked to update all changes to their own areas of the map in real time. And I could tell you how the results of all of this effort meant that they all just kind of began to live inside of the map itself. And then of course I could also tell you how they eventually tried to simplify the first map by creating a newer map and then another map and then another map and onward and onward, etc., etc. But That would take too long, and I think you get the point. Or at least you get a point. I mean, that story must mean something to you, even if it doesn't mean exactly the same thing to me. But this story is my story, so I'm going to tell you how I see things right now. And like said map, I reserve the right to update and change. We're all living in a map exactly like this. Well, maybe not exactly. I mean, we at least have discovered the letter U. But the world we live in is a man-made construct, an interpretive space between reality and our own limited abilities to perceive it, a limited illusion of our own constant daily creation. No, I'm not gonna get all Elon Musk on you to suggest that we're living in a computer-generated simulation, maybe, but I am going to suggest that we are at least living in a culturally-generated simulation, and I'm gonna suggest that you may be so caught up and ensconced in it ensconced my sophomore English teacher would be so proud that you may not even see that you're in it like that fish who doesn't know what water is because water's the only environment it really knows we live in a world of symbols treated as if they were things that they're symbolizing we live in a world of fictions that we've generated ourselves to assuage our fear of uncertainty in the unknown We mostly present these fictions to one another as if they were capital T truths, and we tell ourselves stories about what percentage of things we know and what percentage of things we don't. But how can you know how much you don't know? How can you create a reliable percentage without a reliable denominator? And maybe my sophomore math teacher right now would be scratching his dandruffy head. But how can you build an edifice of certainty upon a foundation of shifting ignorance. Do you want answers to these questions? If so, you've come to the wrong place, because all I got are more questions.
2: <laughs> this is Infants on Thrones,
3: the philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core.
0: Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and this is episode 570 on Dogma and Slippery Pete. Now that's a reference to Jordan Peterson, who Tom thinks is super, super slippery. You'll hear that in today's discussion. So here's what today is. Today's really kind of three things in one. The first thing you're going to hear is a panel discussion that was recorded live with Patreon supporters a few days ago. Uh, We reviewed a podcast by Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris where they talked about dogma and a bunch of other stuff. You'll hear that come out in the conversation. Then the second thing after that, as uh, our first extended Easter egg, is an email that I was sent by another of our Patreon supporters, Claudia Reppin. Um, She had some comments. ...on this same Sam Harris-Jordan Peterson discussion, so I read that and comment to that. That was something that I shared with our Patreon supporters. And then the third extended Easter egg is going to be a selection of quotes that I pulled out of the conversation between Sam Harris and Peterson as I was preparing for the panel discussion... And then I have some comments in there, and I shared that with our Patreon supporters as well. So you're going to get all of that today in a long mega episode. I hope you enjoy it. It's all coming to you right now from Infants on Thrones, straight from my heart, with love and slippery peatness stuff. I don't know. I mean, Well, well, we'll, let Tom, we'll let Tom talk about the slippery parts of it. Here you go. All right. Well, Tom, Tom said he thought he'd only be about five or ten minutes late, so we'll see what uh, Bill's doing with his cam. So, so Anthony, what kind of a response have you had since uh, your episode aired?
2: Um, I I've been uh, pretty grateful for uh, some of the heartfelt responses, yeah, from from friends and from people who newly friended me as a oh. result.
0: Right. Yeah. Cool.
2: Yeah. So, um, uh, uh, an overriding response has been that um, people appreciated the way that I articulated things that, that uh, approximated their own uh, journey and experiences. Yeah.
0: So, what, what, what types of people did you have listening to it? Did you have like people that are still in your ward that are trying to understand? why you went through what you went through or is it mainly people who have already been out or on the, on the way out? um...
2: Yeah. It's mostly people in the struggle. So, yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're in the beginning stages or, you know, all the way to the fully out stage Um, Mm. and somewhere in between. I, I do believe that, and, and I hope that that's part of this discussion today is that, um, that a lot of people who transition eventually do get to a point where, where they want to figure out some sort of reconciliation for a sense of spiritual connection. Again,
0: can we use that word transition? I I think it means something else. Develop. No, I, I think, I think transition has uh, like, now I think about like, um, Oh, gender. Yeah. Transgender person Uh, making the transition, uh, but, um, uh, Yeah, that's, yeah, just, well,
2: that's where it, my head goes. A faith awakening and evolution and yeah. development. Yeah. Uh, Bill talks about development a lot. Yeah. Um, but I do, I do believe that um, when, when people process grief and they heal and so forth, um, you know, that they do kind of get to a point where they want to figure out something. But like you mentioned, using the word God didn't feel safe maybe yeah. doesn't still doesn't feel safe yeah. but there's still a desire to figure out you know the extent to um which that there there the, the was meaning and value in past experiences and then and then how to make sense of some sort of connection going forward
0: yeah yeah cool well yeah i i mean i i expect that'll come up if not you can bring it up cuz we're the music makers we're the dreamers of dreams right, All right. I like we're, it. We're, we're making it tonight. Um, I was going to say, oh, just for, for those of you who are sitting in, um, if, if you're not directly involved in the conversation, I'm going to put you on mute. But you have control on your side as well if, if you want to say something and chime in uh, to, to unmute. And there will probably be, t- be times in the conversation where we uh, ask for feedback. But if you've got something burning that you want to say... Say it. If it starts getting annoying, I'll let you know, <laughs> but, uh, but, but don't worry about that. Um, so let's, let's just go ahead and kick it off. Uh, Tom will join in a couple of minutes. I'm not going to play the clips. Um, I put those
1: clips out there. Did you listen to it to what I sent you, Bill? So like, yes, I listened to it twice, but to tell oh, you wow. that I focused my attention on it well enough to be able to rattle things off the top of my head, who knows? Okay. Well, I, so what if I you did summarize them, I'll be good.
0: Yeah. 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 So I'll just, I'll just share my screen with you here for a second so you can see. So I've got this list. I just summarized, um, at least the questions that I asked about those clips. So that's what I'm going to be going through as, as we talk. Um, I'm going to expect Anthony to chime in a whole bunch. Yeah, that Christian I to too. That. I mean, Christian was the reason why we did a Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris discussion the first time around. Beautiful. Um,
4: yeah,
5: Man. yeah, Glenn. This this uh, you know podcast that or this conversation that they hosted. Yeah, that there was a quote from this conversation that I posted on Patreon a while back. You started to read it. Oh, and you're okay. like no, this is way this is too, too long. long.
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> was it was it the uh, it was it Jordan Peterson's conception of God? It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's definitely a TLDR Yeah, uh, thing there. Even listening to it and trying to unpack it is like yeah. oh, okay,
1: how, they, there's there's so much to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that they just you, you could do a just, whole episode just on his four uh, impositions of what God is. Yeah, and and yeah. right
0: and those were just four of his i mean i I haven't i haven't watched the the second night i started it i got maybe about 10 or 15 minutes into it gotcha did did,
1: did they go into it more in that second one uh i didn't find the second one as interesting um man i just the first one i've listened to two or three times and loved it Mm -hmm.
3: yeah all right hey tom y'all set up yeah can you hear me yeah that sound all right all right sound great hey tom Hey, I'm not seeing. Sorry, I don't have. I have my window minimized. Who's that yelling at me? Christian. Christian, long time yeah. no see, no talk, man. How you been? Good, man. Awesome. I cool. like the shirt. Oh, do do you? <laughs> Wait, what, about, what about mine? What is yours? Oh, star. Is star Wars. Uh,
6: star
0: Wars Yin and Yang, man. I like it. It's like I like the it too. Shirt I've ever seen.
1: <laughs> so what I about like. my shirt? What about me? <laughs> yeah what about me
3: (laughs) all right what about you that's from lost so can i can i have a bone to pick with you first glenn yeah pick it all right so i I kind of feel like you poisoned the well in this discussion (laughs) (laughs) i'm prepared for this go ahead so twice already mm-hmm. twice you've already inserted your opinion slash commentary in two different areas on mm-hmm. the back end of i don't remember which episode mm-hmm. and then even when you were introducing the clips to patreon you just couldn't help yourself i couldn't no you're right i, I got i got it i gotta give my opinion i gotta give I my dude yeah so where's but, yours well, my, right here in the conversation. Awesome. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So I was just making room for you, Tom.
0: I was just yeah, saying like, yeah.
3: I'll get mine out of the way. Yeah. All
4: I'll get right. mine
0: totally out of the way. So Is that it? it? That's the only bone you've got to pick? That's a boring
3: bone. Yeah, <laughs> Is that a pretty a boring bone? Poison <laughs> <laughs> the well of this discussion. I feel like you already had it twice without us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, it, it wouldn't... It. it
0: the the discussion with you is the disc. I can't have it without you. So,
3: all it right. Like you, twi- you tried twice. It's just a monologue, man. This monologue. is a
0: discussion.
3: Okay. Big all difference. Right. So,
0: so I, I I mentioned earlier, Tom. I'm not going to play the clips again. Um, I'm just going to ask the questions, So we'll, we'll kind of like remember what those clips were about and then we can restate them if there's anything that we need to. And I, I'm sure there are other things from that two hour plus discussion that I couldn't pull out in those clips that, that might come up and be relevant as well. So mm-hmm. the, the, the first thing I wanted to spend a little bit of time on was the way that uh, Brett Weinstein introduced it, where he talked about these systems that are breaking down and that one of the problems is, you know, so, so he's saying that are systems that are breaking down, but then there's this alternative network. And I think he's talking about the dark web of long form podcasting. Um, but he says that there's a problem and that that network isn't in agreement on certain key issues. And so the, the first thing I just wanted to ask, it, is that even a correct statement to say that the systems are breaking down? I mean, if so, what does that even mean? And then the, the, is the
3: systems as in
0: other media outlets? Is that what you mean? Yeah. He was talking about journalism. He was talking about universities. Um, but, but what, what do you think? I
3: mean, are, are, our systems disintegrating breaking down in front of us? It, it's hard to say whether they're breaking down. I, I don't necessarily like that phrase. I think that there's a stronger competition with these long form discussions that I feel like carry more weight and are even more valuable. If, if the listener has the time and the energy to invest in it, Yeah, I feel like that's the biggest competition. And not only that, but, um, I don't, I don't really see, maybe I'm, maybe I'm naive to this, but I don't see a lot of the social media outrage that goes after a lot of, a lot of these long form conversations. I know that Joe Rogan got, tied up in the recent Twitter CEO guy a little bit, but for the most part, it's like, it, how, how, how can they get outraged if you can pinpoint them? say, all right, well, listen to this one, two, three hour conversation, get all the context in play and then come back and then tell me what you have a problem with. But is that more answer your question? Or is that, am I missing the boat? I'm just curious to see what, to, to know what you see. Well, I also think that the the outrage machine as far as going towards colleges is a problem. That that kind of builds off the uh, coddling of the American mind, right? Yeah, yeah. And and that's a conversation that we had several months ago
0: but just never has been published and probably won't be. So we 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 should do that one over again. Um yeah. And that was a Sam Harris and uh, Jonathan Haidt conversation where Jonathan Haidt was promoting his book "Coddling the American Mind," and and I think if you're familiar with that, you can you can see areas where the university system, you could argue, it's breaking down. Um, Even religions
1: are breaking. Like, what? What do the rest of you see? So I can put my two cents in. One is I don't think there's one right answer. And and I think some systems are breaking down and other ones aren't. And Mm -hmm. I don't mean to give like a long answer, but here's a thought. So talking to Thomas McConkie, just doing this from like a developmental standpoint, uh, human beings are in a greater number because it's an information age, because we are aware of people who are different, Mm -hmm. because we see now that diversity is not necessarily them and us. It's just other human beings we are leaving ethnocentricity and we're entering a space where, where we no longer are putting each other in camps like we used to. Boy, I hope Um, that's true. And and I think as that happens, systems tend to thrive when there's us and them camps. um, And we can label somebody else as other. And so I think as we collectively as human beings leave ethnocentricity in a larger and larger number, I think you're going to see human beings no longer tolerate um, the stereotypes and labels that fall short. And and so I I grew up in a small township that was part of a larger city and my entire school system outside of six kids were all white Mm -hmm. next city over was a predominantly probably 60% African-American students. Was this in Ohio? Yeah. And this, but it was so easy to judge those of color yeah, Because they weren't in my view at all, right? And so as my grandfather and my dad and my my other uncles and aunts made racist jokes or spoke negatively of those of color, it was easy for me to side with the us, my family, and to look at them as something less than. And I just think we're entering a world where I've got Chinese Facebook friends. I've got you know, people who speak Russian who are in my circle of, of, uh, acquaintances. Um, once you begin to diversify that way, I I think you have no choice, but to start to see the world different. And for those systems that have thrived on very rigid us and them camps, I think you're naturally going to see and are seeing those break down.
0: Yeah. I like, I like that answer. And Any other thoughts? Yeah, I th- there there was a th- there was an episode that Matt and I did a little over a year ago where we were re- reviewing a Jonathan Haidt TED Talk um, about like cultural membranes. And that that's what I hope is going on is that all of these these smaller membranes that have been strong are breaking down and what we're kind of doing is we're merging into a larger Membrane, but but as that happens, I would expect that there's going to be conflict, like we see a lot of conflict. Um, but the end result, and who knows how long it will take? Uh, but that's what I hope is happening.
3: Well, I also think that we're also seeing a, sort of a doubling down in a lot of areas with the tribalism, and that's yeah. really problematic. And it it's disheartening in a lot of ways. Is yeah. some people, you know, they see this like what Bill was talking about this more globalistic culture where people are interacting with different, you know, ethnicities and different races and languages. And, but a lot of people are like, no, nah, that's not for me. If they even get a whiff of that, they're like, I'm going to double down and tend to these little bubbles that I'm comfortable with. Yeah.
0: And, and I, I hope that that's a reaction to the, the threat of a smaller cultural membrane breaking down. And, you know, creating this more porous space that you could have a larger cultural membrane surround a larger group. And that's uncomfortable for some people. I think, I I hope that's the pushback that we're seeing.
5: Yeah. One of the things that Jonathan Haidt talks about and writes about is that the idea that we live in a a moral matrix and that Mm -hmm. there's really no such thing as as people out there pushing bad ideas. Mm. There's people out there pushing their ideas about morality That end up producing some bad effects, Mm -hmm. and uh, I don't think you know. I don't know. Maybe we're getting to a point where everybody's thinking more along those lines, but there sure are plenty of people who still think there are bad people out there pushing bad ideas on purpose. Uh, Yeah, which of course there there are, Uh, and the you know the 20th century I think is good proof of that uh, with Nazism and communism and all of the the bad (laughs) ideas that were propagated there. But you know, for the most part, I take take uh, Mormonism for example. There's nobody really pushing. Bad ideas, necessarily. It's just bad ideas about morality uh, that are producing some bad effects, but some good effects as well.
3: I was just going to say that I I think in an idealistic, optimistic way, I do think that, you know, I want to join your way of thinking that people are thinking more and (laughs) processing more. But in in my own little anecdotal experiences, I'm not seeing that, actually my social circles, the few of us, like the people here that podcast and discuss these things, I think, I think we're in the minority. I could be wrong. I haven't done like a (laughs) scientific survey on that, but it seems like in my circles, there's not a lot of people thinking about anything. If anything, you know, they read headlines of articles and and then they garner opinions on that and then they just move forward.
5: Mm. Yeah. I think I think you know Orthodox fundamentalist religions, for example, they're out, they're on the decline. You know, re- participation in religion uh, in recent years has been on the decline across the board. You know, not just in Mormonism, uh, but, but I think a lot of those people uh, they might leave that fundamentalist Orthodox religion because it's not appealing to them anymore; it doesn't work for them. Uh, but perhaps they take their orthodoxy with them uh, yeah. when they leave, and then they, they see everything kind of flips upside down and then then the church is now what's bad you know that, so
0: you know, christian you you said something earlier about how in 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 the mo in the aggregate there's not really bad people pushing bad ideas but but it, but people have different moralities that you know it, it might be a good idea that they're pushing but it has a bad result what what do you, what would you say is that the end game that most people are striving for what do you what do you think most people want
5: I don't think most people know what they want. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, to be honest, I think, um, you know, we hardly know what we need, uh, let alone what we want. Yeah. And I know that, that's a bad answer, but I think that's the, that's the right answer.
0: What, what do you think Sam Harris wants? Uh, you if know, that's I think. It's like Segway, you see.
5: Yeah. S- Sam Harris, I think, you know, for, for me personally, Sam Harris played a very important role uh, in my faith transition. And, and I think he does, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say transition, right? Uh, from, <laughs> from my move from orthodoxy to post-orthodoxy, let, let's say that. Uh, he, he played an important role and he, he kind of said things that made me go, oh gosh, I've thought about that. And he just gave me the, the perfect words to express that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, contrarily, I guess, uh, Jordan Peterson, I'd say the exact same thing about that guy uh, at different phases. I think, I think both of them agree on 85% to 90 percent of what they're talking about yeah they just have some small differences that happen to be pretty big sam harris and jordan peterson both i think are very interested in alleviating suffering in the world or helping people to be better uh to unite and uh, stop being so divisive and tribal um and i think they're both successful in different ways
0: yeah, yeah, I I think if I had to sum it up in in a word or two, it would be well being. Is what Sam Harris mentioned in the course of this conversation that he's interested in prom- promoting well being.
2: Yeah. So, Probably. if I were to draw draw in and kind of overlay some of the sapiens uh, mm-hmm. language on top of it, um, I, I would say that Sam Harris wants to develop a new uh, fiction or myth construct um, by which we measure ourselves and um, base it on his view or perception of secular facts to determine what's morally good and how we bring about well-being. And um,
0: I think he would that, take issue with that being called a fiction.
2: Um. Well, um, how do you say the word? Heuristic? Heuristics, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so he could use that, um, a, a framework that is built. Um, so maybe he wouldn't like the word myth or fiction, but it, it, it's the same thing for all intensive pur- purposes of what we're talking about. Mm. And that Peterson is suggesting that there might be some meaning and value in the fictions and myths and stories uh, that we've carried over time and suggest that we can, we can draw on those things in a sense that there's art and value in them. Um, and where Sam Harris wants to disregard uh, those and creates a, a new uh, heuristic uh, by which we measure things. Um, and I would call it a, a new uh, set of fictions or, or myth constructs by, mm. by which we move forward.
5: Yeah, I, th- I think he, Sam Harris thinks that, yeah, there might be some value in those, but they're freighted with, you know, he, he called it these Iron Age concepts. Uh, and, of course, you have people today who are, who are very fundamentalistic in the way that they view those stories. So they, they read in the Quran that you should cut the hand off of someone who steals. And so they say, okay, well, cut his hand off. You know, it's, it's a very a literal interpretation. And, and for that reason, uh, a lot of the religious concepts end up being Counterproductive to say the did, least. Did they really do that though? Like, if if
0: if any person steals, they cut their hand off. Yeah, they did. So, so like a, a little five year old kid steals a pack of gum from a store, they cut the, the five year old kid's hand off.
3: I mean, I don't know if it's still there,
0: but well, it's still in the scriptures, right? right. It's still <laughs> in the Quran. And so, according to Sam Harris, and using this example, when. When it's in the scriptures, people have to turn off their reason because their reason is shackled by these ancient iron age
3: beliefs. not just that, but that there's probably pockets of literalists or fundamentalists that still enact those things, even if yeah. they are generic. well and,
0: and and he this became a point of contention that they spent probably i don 't know ten or fifteen minutes talking about this example of the hand being cut off and and uh, you know Harris was pretty adamant that this is something that he he brought it up as an example of scripture that cannot be interpreted metaphorically. You can only interpret this literally. And, and, and at a later part in the podcast, he was a little flippant about, Oh, maybe instead of cutting off the hand, they mean like some, you know, like foofy kind of thing differently. But I, but I was looking at it the other way. I'm like, I, I think where they interpret it differently is on what, type of theft warrants hand cutting off and what type of theft is, you know, like a a white light.
3: Just getting lost in the weeds in that conversation. I mean, to me, do you remember when we had that conversation about the definition of truth or whatever it was? Yes. And it was over Jordan Peterson. It was the first time that Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris collided. And it seems like just all these other conversations are just organically evolving from that shit show. And so now we're in this shit show and they just can't seem to figure out because Jordan Peterson refuses to define. He's like, well, that's going to take another 20, 25 minutes to unpack. Let me see if I can define this word, dude. I, I can't roll my eyes hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> Because he's so slippery. It's like he dives into a bucket of lube, comes out and says, try to grab me. Try to grab me. There's no, there's nothing of substance that this guy provides. It drives me insane. And that's all that Sam Harris, I get, I get the sense that that's all Sam, Sam Harris wants. Is he just wants something that he can hold on to and say, because I've listened to all four parts of, of whatever there's, it is. There's four parts of this? Yeah. Yeah. Four parts. It's long.
0: Like, like four four nights in Vancouver, they did not just two London and
3: Dublin. Oh, okay. And I think the fourth one was in London, but yeah, at the very end of the fourth one, Sam, he says, you know, after all these conversations, after all these hours, I still have no idea how you define God. And, uh, and then of course Jordan's like, well, I don't even know how to define God. (laughs) It's just, it's so freaking slippery. I can't stand it. And, And all I feel like I'm doing is just echoing what I said in that earlier conversation about the definition of truth, because how can, how can you have a conversation when someone refuses to clearly define something like that, whether it's, whether it's truth or whether it's God or whether the, the power of scripture or, or fundamentalism. And, and Jordan is just all over the freaking place. And the problem is, is like what you said, Glenn, is he uses all these big words and he goes off into so many tangents that are actually really articulate and very productive that people just get lost like, oh, was he talk- oh this is really interesting what he's talking about now. And then you forget the real, the topic at hand. And then Sam Harris is like, okay, all right, let, let, I'll entertain this for a second. Let's try to bring it back. Try to bring it back. It felt like he, he was the ref trying to bring the, the players back into the thing. It, dude, I can't – I don't know. I mean, it, as much as I enjoy both of them, mm-hmm. I'm team Harris all the way because he seemed like the only one with some sort of logical sense of like, let's just – can we stay on topic? And Jordan's like, well, let's talk let's, – what's the definition of topic then? Let's talk about that. Just, it freaking drives <laughs> me insane. So let me push back
1: against you a little bit, Tom, which, uh, which, uh, so I like Jordan Peterson and I like what he does. Um, one, you're asking him to define God. And I think he would self admit like billions and billions and billions of human beings can't come to any kind of consensus. It's a, it's a useless word to try and define. But what, what his argument is, is the idea that over millions of years of evolution, human beings have needed on some level, a belief in something invisible out in the, in the beyond sure. in order to maintain healthy tribal systems. And what, what Jordan seems to be arguing is, cause you say like, do you believe in God? And he says, he goes, I act as if there's a God, right? He doesn't mm-hmm. even want to say he believes in God. Right. And, and the reason he's doing that is he's saying, look, if we pull, if we just say, look, God's not real and let's just pull it out he's, his concern is that what's going to happen to the systems that evolution has placed God as that important Jenga chip in the middle of the game piece. And, and what happens? And and one example would be, um, he does an interview on Joe Rogan and he starts talking about uh, children and allergies and discipline. And it's like suddenly moms and dads are being more careful about their children and they're actually causing their kids to get more sick by doing it. And so sometimes we think we're doing something positive and we don't realize like what we're doing actually does more damage because the system is set up to work backwards. And and I think Jordan's making that argument that God may be a crucial piece of how humans operate because of evolution and if right. we just yank that out, what happens?
3: Well, but here, here's the bigger point, though, that Jordan never seems to really... I don't know if it's, he doesn't want to readily admit to it or he just skirts the issue, is the problematic issues that come with fundamentalism. He, he always seems to say, well, you know, I don't know. And, and every time Harris tries to pin him down, on you have to understand... That when it comes to fundamentalists or literalists, people that really take this stuff seriously insofar as they go destructive, whether it's with themselves or others, Jordan never really seems to admit that problematic area within belief. He always seems to say, well, you know, we just need to encourage nuance. We need to encourage people that don't take us so seriously. At least that's the sense that I get from him. You can never tell what he's really trying to say. But But the thing is, is with Harris, he's actually trying to say, listen. These are problems. These are huge problems. We're talking about 9-11 aircrafts into buildings problems, 5,000 people dead sorts of problems. These aren't problems to be ignored or dismissed or say, oh, well, let's just, let's just promote nuance. No, these, these cause problems even today in 2019. These cause problems now. And his, his issue is, is, why don't we just erase the board, <laughs> cherry, cherry pick what we have, the good things, and build a system from the ground up. And I don't have a problem with what he's saying. How how are we gonna erase the board, Tom? The way he's saying it. We just, we take all the good things that are from religion or from culture, and then we just build things that don't have all these problematic issues, like scriptures. books that are written from God that have to be the word of God. You can't edit them. You can't change them. And so if there are things in scriptures that say, cut the hands off people that steal, if that's something in the scripture, then you can't take it out. Is that not problematic? And all Jordan would say is like, well, yeah, it's problematic, but you have to understand, you have to take things into context. If you read more than just the chapter, if you read the heading and blah, 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 or whatever it is that he says, you get lost in what he says. But the thing is, is Sam is right. And I understand that there's already a structure in place when it comes to religion. There's already good that is provided from religion. And I think even Sam Harris acknowledges that to some extent, but he's so fixated on the fact that there's problems with fundamentalism. There's huge problems. And it seems like there's a lot of people that just want to skirt that or dismiss it off to the edge. And that drives him crazy. Frankly, it drives me crazy too.
0: But but I don't yeah. I don't hear Jordan Peterson defending fundamentalism. I, I, I hear Jordan Peterson saying I agree with you that this is a problem. But but you know, like what, what is the solution? How do we get to a solution? Because you can't just wipe the board clean, Tom. Why? Why? Why can't well, how, we- how are you gonna do it?
2: When, how are you without wipe it clean. Without something like a Holocaust right. or something like that, how do you when in history has humankind ever been able to completely eliminate a myth construct who's that doesn't mean that we can't and is it even possible to convert facts
5: into values without an a priori structure
0: interpretive structure which is which is you know like i I think where it gets frustrating it is that that jordan peterson i think recognizes or acknowledges the complexities of what we're talking about as trying to like wipe the slate clean where, where what I hear from Sam Harris is more is just like, it shouldn't be this way. We shouldn't do this. We shouldn't do this. People shouldn't but, think that we should be rational. We should be reasonable. We should
5: just be promoting well being. And he's pushing him, pushing him on the, on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? Sam Harris was like, come on, just, just say, you know, almost certainly that didn't happen.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that. that's a different issue, but, but yeah, I mean, he, 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 he wants Jordan to be more clear on, on, uh, a lot things, of them. things like that, like, like if, God.
5: If, if he is, what does he lose? If I, Jordan I Peterson is more clear, what does he lose? I think, I think he loses Literally. a lot of the, the appeal that he has. You know, he, I think he appeals to, to people who hold fundamentalist views. Um, and I think he loses possibly, his
0: integrity, Christian. I, I mean, I, I think he loses his integrity because I, I think when, when Jordan Peterson says, look, I'm trying to figure this out too like we're having a conversation right now where we're trying to figure it out. And these are really, really complicated issues. And then he talks about his experience in writing maps of meaning and what he learned there and how he was trying to identify these patterns and different, you know, like it runs really, really deep into the psyche. And, and it seems to me like when he's trying to, to have these really deep conversations, Sam pulls it back into like these really kind of surface level. Well, but look at, um, people in ISIS who rape women and they, they use the scriptures as justification to do it. It's like,
1: yeah, I think that's bad too.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well this goes back to, and they use this analogy occasionally throughout the conversations about throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Right. And, and to me, every time I hear that analogy, I'm like, I don't think it's quite appropriate because it's, it's not, to to me, it's like the bathwater sometimes is way overwhelming it, and the thing is is jordan doesn 't seem to see it that way he 's like no there's a, there's a lot to be that can be good from religion, and so if you just did with you, you just did away with it, you would lose a lot a lot of it and Sam keeps saying, why i mean and not only that, but we 're not getting rid of all the good things that you can get from religion and and that 's the frustrating part to me and 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 I get what everyone is saying i I even saw that Justin said that he disagrees with me about getting rid of it altogether. i I think that you can get rid of it. I think you can. The thing is, this is a big undertaking. And I think that Sam also acknowledges that he's idealistic. Should we, should we send people door to door, Tom? Okay. Yeah, sure. Send them door to door. That's fine. <laughs> and, that, and that's good, That's going to change people's like deeply held no, beliefs. No, th- th- you don't understand. Well, I know God. I don't understand. So, I don't know how to get rid of it but i 'm not you're making it sound like we need to get rid of it like in twenty four hours or in like one year okay, if, give me a time frame. If we started somewhere, if we decided that we were going to slowly dismantle the religions and then we're going to start to build like this i don 't know organization that was that takes all the good things that we got from all of our past, all of all the myths, all the legends, all the religions, and we take everything that really brought us you know uh into a more productive way as human beings that promoted, you know, uh, social stuff and all, all, all that stuff. If, if we can find a way to get all the good stuff, take all the babies out of the bathwater and put them in all one area. And I don't understand why Jordan's like, we can't do that. We can't, we can't do that. Why? And yes, it is a huge undertaking. And yes, it is idealistic. And yes, it's more probably. I don't, I don't hear him saying we can't do that. What? I don't hear him saying we can't do that. Jordan. Yeah. Oh, I do. I hear him saying that you can't get rid of religion. It's too important. It's too it's too woven into the fabric of of human beings into who we are. I mean, towards the end when he starts to def- def- defend the Bible was I I don't even know what to say about that. I, to me, I think the Bible is important as just any other historical text. <laughs> Yeah. It's important. Yeah. You can get good stories from it, but you can also get really, really problematic things in it. You know? And it's like, why can't we just take the good things from our history instead of saying, no, 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 we can't, we can't lose the bad things either. We have to incorporate them too. Why, why, why can't we move forward as human beings and say, why can't we just get to a place where we don't have to continue to carry this negative baggage into our future? So I, th- I think we
1: are, but I think it's four thousand years away. Um, Maybe part of, part of the problem is the majority of the population, by far, are deeply in tribal thinking. You 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 can't walk in and say like, "Hey, I'm going to take your system away from you." <laughs> Those it would be anarchy. It would be it would be chaos. Um, yeah. Those people can't handle that. So if we get a room of people like you and me, Tom, sure we can sit down and say like we're probably going to agree on ninety percent of what's healthy for a human being to have as their their rules to go through life and to and to have guidelines to live by. But I'm telling you, man, my my parents, for instance, I love my mom and dad. They're smart. They've got IQs. My mom's around one fifteen. My dad's got an IQ around one twenty five. They're they're smart people. Their conversations are so superficial and so tribal. If Donald Trump uh, you know, pulled a gun out and shot somebody, they'd figure out somebody to defend it. Sure. Uh, you can't go into those. You can't go to the majority, the average human being. You can't right. go into their world and take their system away. They're not going to let you.
3: No, I agree. But why, why can't we start from somewhere? I think, well, I think it's already started. I
0: Let's identify what they identified as the main problem, which was dogma. And, right. and so they talked a lot about dogma and and whether it's religious dogma or it's non-religious dogma, that dogma is a problem. And, and the way they define dogma was when you have certain ideas that cannot be challenged. They, they, they cannot be challenged. They cannot be questioned at all. Right. That's what that's when that's the problem. And so then then from there, where would you what is the solution? I mean, you, you need to be able to have free discourse. You need to be able to have disagreements
3: well this that's the problem is if you if you open the door to creating exceptions in in sort of a literal or fundamentalist sort of religion that that causes all kinds of problems the jewish faith is an exception because for some reason they've been able to incorporate nuance throughout the generations but like if you take mormonism they don't take kind to a lot of nuance they really don't sure i found that out the hard way yeah, exactly. <laughs> real is a testament to that. Yeah, yeah.
0: But, but you know, so like <laughs> when we're talking about wiping the slate, that sounds to me like we're leaning into dogma. Why? But because I mean, we're why- saying there, there's a certain way that things have to be and we're not going to tolerate anything else.
3: No, I don't see that at all. Maybe we're just not seeing the same thing. I see it as... Probably, let's which, clean is, it. which is good. I like that. But, but we're not seeing Let's build a foundation with all the things that make humanity what it is, but let's leave all the negative baggage behind. And yeah, you're, you're right, Bill, that we can't change. (laughs) I can't even change my own parents' mind either. But if we, but if we can start somewhere, I mean, maybe we can start planting seeds in our kids and their kids' minds. Maybe they'll be better off because they won't have the negative baggage from like, you know, we need to cut people's hands off if they're caught stealing. If they don't have that, to that kind of hinders them. They're like, oh, oh, wow, this is kind of an archaic, barbaric sort of a teaching. It's uh, happening. Guess- it, it is. It is happening. I mean, as 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 the
0: internet continues to connect people together. I mean, how how many generations are we in where we've got this technology where we're able to sit and have these kinds of conversations and okay. expose each other to different kinds of ideas? It's going to take time. You know, Bill said four thousand years. I mean, who knows how long it yeah. might actually take. But,
2: so so I, would, I would say if we were to look at the history of the social evolution of liberal democracy, mm-hmm. so around the time of the Enlight- Enlightenment, you know, 1700s, stuff like that, when this idea that um, we could have representative government and voting and things like that, like that that's taken hundreds of years to evolve to what we have today, and it's still in a process of evolution And my sense is the things that we're talking about are part of a centuries-long process, Mm -hmm. just like other types of social evolution that have happened, including liberal democracy.
3: Agreed. But I I think even Sam Harris would agree with that. But I I get the sense that – and maybe I'm I'm a a Sam Harris whisperer here – but I get the sense that he would say, why can't we just turn up the dial a little bit? Because right now we're talking about a, a trickle of change, the eensy little pieces of change. And not only that, but again, we go back to this tribalistic sort of thing where there's fundamentalist pockets everywhere. Why is it that we can't turn the knob up just a little bit so it's not a trickle? Instead, it's more of a stream. There's more change happening rather quickly or a little bit quicker. And I mean, we're, we're in such a phenomenal information age right now where there's so much information and communication that's happening every single day. Why can't we just turn that knob up just a little bit by saying, let's get the good ideas out there and let's get rid of the bad ideas. I I think
0: it comes back to what the Lord said to Hiram Smith through the prophet Joseph. (laughs) Seek not to declare my word. First, seek to obtain my word. And and I, I, I think that what we're talking about here is every single person can only be responsible for their own shift, you know, for, for, for their own ability to coexist with difference and engage in conversation and be receptive and, you know, not like what, what is it that's keeping people in their dogma is the threat and so if you can, if you can approach somebody in their ideas without being quite as threatening, maybe you what about, have a chance of reaching them, but that's, that's like
3: an individual change, right? Okay. Yeah. I, I acknowledge that. But what about kids in the future generations? And we, we, we got to teach them. I mean, we could go to the coddling of the
0: American mind conversation there. I mean, what, what are we teaching kids these days? You know, Jonathan Heights really explicit about it in that book. That that people are not learning right now how to have a disagreement because they they get they hear somebody disagreeing with them and they think that their 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 life uh, experience has been invalidated or whatever the phrase is for that you know and, and and so it's it's creating this fragility this inability to have dialogue and discussion and disagreement. Um, you know, recognizing that every single person sees the world in slightly different ways. And so if we're all being genuine and expressing what it is that we see, we're, there's going to be conflict. And we've got, we've got to get to a place, I think, where we're okay with that. Yeah. But, but where we still have, like, we, we have these grand, uh, the, the way that Harris and Peterson talk about it are, like, intuitive morality. Something like that that's guiding us. Like, where do we draw the line on what's
3: okay and what's not okay in our differences? Well, yeah, but that's why we need to have a more of a global consensus on those issues. You know, it's like we take the golden rule and we expand on it. We take the good things out of everybody's culture and we expand on that. The thing is, is when you were talking about, we, everybody has their own individual journey and they, everybody changes their mind on their time frame. Is that? Sure. Yeah. That's part of it too. Yeah. Yeah. But the problem, the, the reason why I want to push back on that is, and that's why I brought up kids and not only that, but like, I, I would assume, and I think it's a fair assumption that everybody that's on this call or this, this, you know, discussion right now, we've all had our minds changed pretty substantially. I would, fair, I would dare say. Yeah. And so when you put out good thoughts, when you put out good ideas, and then that translates into good behaviors, it's going to be contagious people are going to see it. They're going to hear it. They're going to digest it. And then they're going to start to make incremental changes within themselves to get them to a place where they can make a big shift like that. It's not where we can just throw our hands up and say, well, everybody's on their own journey. My parents are too stubborn and cold hearted. I can, I can never change their minds. And while that may be true, it doesn't stop. It doesn't change the fact that (laughs) I'm, I'm a living Testament to the fact that people can change their minds. You know, so, so are,
0: are, are, exactly. are, are, are we suggesting that we all follow Lucifer's plan from the pre-existence and just compel people to do the right thing? Because you've, you've got, you've got three kids, Tom, right. you've taught them certain things. Are they right.
3: following everything that you've ever told them is good? Not are everything, they- but, but <laughs> the fundamentals, yes. The big yeah. thing, like, like people that are gay are equal. Male and female, they're equal. There's no sexism. There's no discrimination. I mean, those things, all my kids are on totally board with it. Tom, you're changing the world. Yeah, You're doing it. It's happening. You're doing it. In fact, I had this quick little side note. My son, we were down at my parents or something like that, and my dad brought up kind of this, this sort of homophobic rhetoric or whatever, you know? And my son just sat back and he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, he kind of had like this time shift sort of thing. Like, did I get in a DeLorean? Am I, I'm, am I in a different time and a place right now? Because all of his friends are completely accepting. All of them. Yeah. Everybody is. But now there's these pockets of, you know, kind of old people or senior citizens or whatever that, that still kind of carry this dogma that gay is a choice or, you know, gay is bad or gay is evil. And it was interesting from my perspective to say, well, I'm, I'm one of the people in the, in the middle. That actually had to change my mind to where I was way more accepting. And it was really heartening to me to see my son like I, I could, you know, that was not just foreign but alien to see that sort of approach. And to he to him, he was like, as we were leaving, he's like, I cannot believe your you know grandpa feels that way. I, I I don't even know what to say about that. And I was like, there's nothing to say, you know. I mean you're in a much better place. <laughs>
2: so, so what you're hoping for is already happening the majority of kids today are LGBTQ affirming. Right. The the majority of kids today know that it's totally absurd to believe a 600 year old man built an ark. Well, they, the majority of kids, you go talk to high school teachers about the kinds of conversations that they're having with kids in class. And, and the kids today are not, they're seeking spirituality, but not religion. Even in the LDS church, the, you know, whether it's one thing or another, a third of our missionaries uh, in the LDS church are coming home early. And and supposedly the majority of that is uh, mental health issues. But I think there's more to the story than that. I, I think that they're experiencing dissonance because um, they they're can't live according to the dogmatism. That's part of it, I think.
1: Yeah, and I think, Tom, you're—I you're, mean, how does one collective group of people— Go to another collective group of people and say, Hey, we're we're enlightened, and we've got a better way for you to do things, and this is how it's going to be. Because and essentially what you've done is you've implemented the very thing you're challenging, which is you're imposing something that can't be questioned. I, I just don't know that there's any better way to do it than what we're doing. And what we're doing is working, but yes, it's it's slow, but And this is where an understanding of like. Of of the 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 human nature,
0: the the thing that um, Jordan Peterson brought up about chimps, that they they go on these raiding parties and they see some foreign interloper and they rip him to shreds. The chimps of Gombe. Yeah, I mean that's what we see today too. If there's a threat, we we we've got this biochemical response. We go into fight or flight mode and we retrench and we attack. So, so you asked, why can't we just take all the good things from all of the, the, the different cultures? Because there's still, at some basic gut level, a fear of the foreign that people have to
1: learn how to master on their own. And isn't it more than that? I mean, when you look at the chimps, it's their evolutionary mechanism to go to war with each other when they feel like their tribe is being threatened in some way. Right. Right. And and so we as human beings, we go to war for a million reasons, religious reasons, political reasons, all that. But all that's bullcrap. The reality is it's evolutionary for us to do it. And now we're just adding another layer of reasons to why we do it. Right. The real reason is that millions of years of evolution have us designed to want to protect us and Mm -hmm. to fight against them. And so we might say it's the invisible man in the sky. That's the reason behind the war or, uh, because I'm a Democrat and, and, and those guys over there, they're dictators. Like that's not the real reason we're programmed in our DNA to pick out who looks like us, walks like us, talks like us, uh, who believes like us. And then everybody else is the bad guys and to go after them.
3: Well, yeah. And, and I, I don't disagree that in, it's, it's a difficult road to fight against, you know, our biology or our genetics or whatever, and that we are designed to be tribalistic. But we still can, and we still should. We still should strive for a global community. We should be trying to break down those barriers. And yeah, it's it's a fight, and it's going to be difficult. But I think when we start to strive for it, it's going to be easier. And not only that, but going back to what you guys were just saying—that we can't take one, you know, community up against another community, and say what we have is better. No, you you can't collide like that. But if you lead by example, if you show that okay, we're going to have a community here, and we're not going to have missionaries or anything like that. What we're gonna we're gonna start to build up this thing, and people are going to start to take notice.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, the, and the the, the I, I think dogma continues to raise its ugly head in in any of those kinds of things, and 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 once and I, I think dogma is also a reaction to this chimp like instinctual response to a threat. You know that that if you're able to have something that's certain that cannot be overturned, it can't be questioned at all, then there's a sense of safety with that, and I think that impulse drives dogma. Yeah. I agree. And 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 it and it's a, it, it's a challenge. And so it's, it's almost like there's this like fluctuating cycle of rigidity and it breaks. And then people form these groups, uh, you know, with these great, greatest of intentions, very idealistic. And then it becomes rigid again and then it breaks. And then, you know, I, it just, is the cycle that keeps happening over and over again. When, when you look at, I, I, I think, look at, at history
5: and culture and societies yeah uh, so I've, I've, I've got two observations you know, the first one was that i don't know if you've read jordan peterson's 12 rules for life but he, yeah. he talks in there one of his rules is uh put your house in perfect order before you criticize the world mm-hmm. right and i think there's some real wisdom to that that most people really need to turn inward before they start turning outward of course uh, even to their own family, you know? So I think there's wisdom to that kind of process of turning inward first and understanding yourself, what exactly is going on uh, before you you can turn outward. And I think there's way too much outward focus and not enough inward focus. Um, and then the second observation I just had was, you know, they talk in there about, or at least Jordan Peterson does towards the end of when he's trying to define God. He talks about how men organize themselves into hierarchies and, the men who rise up the hierarchy are, are following correct principles that allow them to be voted up the hierarchy by the other men. And I think a lot of times why that happens is because they're adhering to dogma. Uh, dogma isn't necessarily all bad, right? It's kind of a shortcut to doing the things that you should be doing. Uh, again, like Jonathan Haidt says that, that uh, our view of morality and enforcing morality might end up producing some bad effects I think we figure that out as we go along. Like nobody really knows what's what's moral until you try everything, uh, and then you figure out what's moral. And we kind of develop these patterns of behavior that we end up canonizing in some in some instances, which is why we have religion, uh, in in large measure. So dogma, while it has its negative aspects, it's, it's also got a positive aspect to it, right?
3: Yeah, but but I also think that what Sam Harris is promoting is if if there's sort of a, a basis of critical thinking and sort of taking the scientific uh, way of looking at things to where if if there's a better idea, we'll just implement it. that's That goes right in the face of religion.
5: Yeah, right. but f- from a pragmatic standpoint, I, I would wonder, like, honestly, and, and this isn't meant to be degrading to uh, the vast majority of humanity, but How many of the vast majority of humanity even has the IQ potential to understand a lot of what Sam Harris says, for example? I I think there's there's real value in working within an existing framework to try to further this purpose rather than saying, hey, let's scrap the whole thing. We need to pull in these good things from everything we've done so far, and this is what it looks like.
3: Okay. Okay. This, this is really interesting because now we're getting right into the root of the disagreement between Jordan and Sam. Okay. So, and I'm curious, especially from you, Bill, the Jordan whisper that, uh, okay. So if we just stick with the way it is, you know, we just stay on the path where religion is what it is and there's fundamentalists and Literalism everywhere and there's these pockets or whatever. So how do we dismantle dogma? How do we dismantle those pockets? Do we just not address it? and We continue to just turn a blind eye to all the problematic things that that does? So I, I can only put my two cents in
1: and I don't know that my view would be what Jordan Peterson's view is I I would say that first off the debate between Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson I'm much more excited about where they agree where their agreement is and, and they both agree, like, the, the big problem is when dogma can't be questioned. So let's just take for religion, for example. Uh, the idea of freedom of religion. So if the Jehovah's Witnesses, if they don't want to get a blood transfusion for their child, they can choose to, like, exempt that, right? And, like, it has to go through the court system and somebody else has to decide. Or, um, you know, if, if, if Mormons want to have an anti-LGBT doctrine or policy, We say like, yep, you can do that. The question becomes for the systems that are not allowed, for the systems that don't allow questioning to occur, what is a healthy way to put our foot down collectively as a society and say, if you're doing harm to another human being simply because they're different than you, your religion no longer reserves the right to do as it pleases. And, and, and I think that gets into a thousand, like, let me ask you a thousand years from now, there's still going to be fundamentalism. It's going to be much smaller, but I, but it also may be more dangerous. And how do you go into those kinds of systems and say, like, look, for those systems that don't allow questioning to occur, don't allow competing ideas to happen. What do you put in its place? How do you get them to stop? I don't. I don't know that there's an answer. I think Jordan's simply saying, "Slow down." We don't know what the repercussions are if we if we just go in and start tinkering with things.
3: Well, but and, th- that's why I I th- think, that's why I think Sam comes and says, "You're right. There's probably not a good answer to do that." That's why he he promotes. Well, let's just do away with religion then. What one of the the pieces of this conversation,
0: and I haven't heard all four. Um, so so maybe they touch on this in in some of the later ones. But uh, Jordan Peterson raises this question um, that I don't recall Sam Harris asking. Do you accept, Jordan's asking Sam, do you accept that there is some kind of interpretive mechanism between reality or facts or whatever you wanna call it, and value or meaning or our ability to understand this? And I never heard Sam acknowledge that yes, there is something in between those things. Um, if there is, what is it and why is it important to recognize what that is? And, and I, I think one of the reasons that Sam avoids that question is because it kind of undermines what what I think is kind of a simple idealistic approach on how we change things because you would have to say, Oh, well, actually we don't really even have the first clue about what truth is or about the world that we live in is. We don't we don't really have the first, there, there were a couple of times in the conversation where they were talking about the brain, the way the brain processes things. And, and Jordan Peterson's like, we still don't know much more about the way that the brain creates meaning than people 2000 years ago did. <laughs> there's, there's still so much that we do not know that any kind of interpretive uh, mechanism is going to be suspect. Now that doesn't mean that we shouldn't lean into science science is the best way it's it's the best one of those interpretive methods but there has to be some kind of humility i think and and recognition that this is also what was it anthony that you said uh we, we need to create fictions like new fictions new myths like th- that that's that, how you know, we fun-
2: that's on- how we function right as, as human right. we have common shared myth constructs or fictions and, and that's how it works. And so it takes a long time to develop a fiction or a myth construct for, but I think that
0: idea of, I, 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 and I don't, I mean, I don't listen to a ton of Sam Harris, so I, I don't, I, I can't really speak for him. Um, but, but my sense is that he's not comfortable with that idea of, of those facts being considered incomplete or inaccurate or fictions
5: yeah well, I, I think uh, Jordan Peterson mentions in Maps of Meaning for example that the world is both a place of things as well as a forum for action hmm. and that when we're talking about our, our myths and religion essentially we're talking about the world as a forum for action and not as a place of things we're not talking about science for example because science deals with the world that is a place of things and I think Sam Harris would say, well, there's, that's a distinction without a difference. Uh, you know, the world is the world. Uh, the truth is truth. And I think Jordan Peterson kind of parses and says, yeah, but we can't really answer questions of morality using science at this juncture. Maybe eventually we will, but historically, we certainly haven't. Yeah. And uh, for the time being, we probably won't either. And, and,
1: and what, I, what
0: I hear Jordan Peterson really wanting to get out of Sam Harris and Sam Harris really resisting is this acknowledgement that there is subjectivity in calling something good or bad. You know, they spend a lot of time talking about the examples that Sam Harris uses in what? what's the book that he wrote? The Moral Landscape. Moral Landscape um, about like the worst case scenario and the best case scenario. Uh-huh. Right. And, 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 and Jordan's contention is that, Sam was regarding that as a fact and Jordan thinks, no, that's not a fact. That is a subjective observation. And Sam's pushback on that was, well, you can't, you know, point to anybody who wouldn't tell me that the worst possible suffering for every single person isn't bad, you know, but it's still like we're using the medium of language. This, this word bad, you know, like there, there is this interpretive uh, mechanism in between the idea and us that isn't reality. It's not reality. It's something different. And it's formed and it's shaped by our own abilities to perceive reality and and those limits on perceiving reality. So so just can we back off of that? It's fact, recognize that it's subjective, something that we're all kind of creating and figuring out together. I don't, I I think that's where, I think that's where Peterson's coming from.
3: Yeah, I do. I agree. But I feel like there still needs to be some groundwork that needs to be laid as far as being factual and real. There just has to be. And, I, and, and I'm with Sam on that where it's like, okay, there are like common, consensus, uh, objective truths, facts, evidence, things that we can all agree on. There has to be that groundwork where we can all build from the ground up. There has to be.
0: And, and Jordan Peterson's response would be, everybody agreeing on it
3: doesn't make it true. Yeah, or whatever. It's freaking slippery, dude.
2: But it's accurate, though. So, uh, so if having this conversation 200 years ago, you know, what was fair and just with regard to who could vote and who could own land and all that kind of stuff was considered fact. And we reject a lot of that stuff today. Right. Because 200 years from now, there'll be a different set of agreed upon facts of what constitutes things being fair, just and things like that.
3: Yeah, but I don't think it's too fair. I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say that like the fundamentals as far as like, uh, I don't know, the, the good things in culture and within human beings are not going to change all that much, even to 500 years from now. Yeah. I feel like a lot of that is going to transcend even into that. And I want to, there was something you said, Glenn, that drives me crazy where you'd said that Sam refused to answer Jordan's question. It seems oh like my it to me. gosh, no way. I totally disagree. And only because that's flipped. The only sense that I get from Sam is if he, he never, I never got the distinct feeling that he was avoiding or deferring the question. It's because he could never, ever keep Jordan on task. He could he was always trying to bring him back. He did a good job of it a couple of times. Oh
0: bringing
2: yeah,
3: bringing, bringing him back to
0: it.
2: But right, on the resurrection, uh, he brought him back.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, or, or, or Brett, Brett asked him a question about like, is there, are are there any things in scriptures that you would say wrong and it and jordan like went off for like 20 minutes and and oh gosh, and, and and uh, sam colbeck said well before you go on to this next thing answer the question
5: no. uh, you, ha- you have to I, define I, I, scripture and you have to define wrong before you can answer it right
0: <laughs> i i i want to acknowledge that that shane is listening in and he's really wanting to make a point here shane did you want to talk i can take you off mute or do you want me to read your comments here on the side all right go ahead sure shane. i can talk Um, Yeah,
7: I kind of had a breakthrough, I I think, when I was listening to that, uh, where I understand Sam trying to distinguish good and bad by saying that good is well-being, and Mm -hmm. any percentage or any tiny piece of well-being, that's good. But as soon as there's no well-being, then that's bad. It's kind of like the analogy of light and darkness, where there's no such thing as dark, Beside an absence of light. I, I don't know if that helps, but that kind of helped me make more sense of that whole conversation they were having mm. around good and bad.
3: Yeah. yeah. And I also think that Sam wouldn't say that it's quite as binary either. That That's why the moral landscape is what it is. There's rolling ups and downs. There's hills everywhere. It's not, it's not just all good or all bad. That There's definitely um, nuance to be had in all that. But to say to say the extreme good or the extreme bad is subjective. I I, I bristle at that because the, even even the extreme examples that Sam uses, you know, like torture or whatever, is is it not fair to say objectively that that's bad? Or would Jordan, Captain Slippery, would he come in and say, "Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe that person that's being tortured was enjoying it. We don't know." Like. I don't know, man. Isn't isn't there something that we can nail down as objective?
5: Yeah, I think they both actually agree on the you know su- the absence of pain and suffering is actually what defines what is good.
3: Yeah,
0: and, uh, and I think and I think
5: they both that, agree on that.
0: And and they both agree that they'd like to have a sense of morality that's grounded in something, some kind of true interpretive ob- structure. Yeah, like ob- objective truth. Yep. I, I think I think where they differ is Jordan saying. How do you get to that? How do you get objective truth that isn't interpreted through some kind of a priori mechanism, you know, interpretive mechanism? And and that biases the truth right there. It it filters it.
1: <sighs> and we got to sigh. I'm hesitating because I, I think this gets off into the weeds, but if uh, the yeah, goal we don't, we don't go into weeds, Bill. If the goal is to say, like, look, everybody's well-being is so important, we just don't live in that kind of a black and white world. Sometimes my well-being is gonna cause harm to somebody else. Sometimes promoting the, the well-being of someone else is gonna cause another human being harm. It just it isn't that clear. So I don't know how we create a, a litmus test or a or a system that gauges like what amount of well-being does every human being deserve. And what kind of pain? So torture, for instance, right? Like, are there ever instances where we torture someone in order to cause well-being to the collective society? Yes, there is. Uh, I I just, it's not binary. And so I, I, that's why I like where these guys agree, because I think the things they don't agree on, nobody's ever agreed in millions, you know, a million years, you know, there were arguments around campfires before there were wheels, you know, and about these same maybe not to this depth, but these same kinds of ideas, like what, what's okay for me to do to that group and what's okay for that group to do to us. And, and, and I, I
0: I think that their ability to disagree is amazing. I love it. It, And that's the key. Great. That's
1: the key. How do we create a space where all systems can have competing opinions and thoughts shared? And I think once you create that, whatever that is, then the rest of it, maybe not up to Tom's pace, but the rest of it speeds up and it, it accomplishes what he's looking for.
3: Well, and I think I, I think going back to what you just said, Glenn, that if if anything were to be taken from these debates or these conversations is the fact that two people that can really disagree about whether it's 10% or 5%, that they can still have a mutual respect for each other. Absolutely. They can still listen to each other. Yeah. And they can still be... I don't know earnest in trying to understand each other. Later on, and I think two or three, they try to restate each other's disagreement. Mm-hmm. It's really, really powerful.
0: To yeah, me, that's how they start off the second one. I saw that part. I really like
5: ma- steel man argument, right? Steel Instead man, of a straw yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. And,
3: and I think that's really vital for anyone that comes up against someone that they disagree with. If if you can just take a minute to say, okay. I disagree with this person and why. And then really try to understand what they're saying, where they're coming from, what their point is. If you can do that, it's going to actually solidify your own argument against it, or it's going to challenge your argument enough that maybe you need to shift a little bit.
5: Yeah. And I I think they're both doing wonders actually for helping people move away from fundamentalism uh, in particular. You know, they both do it in different ways. Uh, but I think that, uh, you know, for example, Jordan Peterson's biblical lectures they are fantastic. He, he has them on YouTube, and they're popular with all sorts of folks. There's millions of views of those. And he's not talking about a literal bearded man in, in the sky, and that's pretty clear. You know, he he presents those stories as as myth, and they're, they're impactful, and, uh, you know, people like them. So I think he's, he's doing a good job. And, of course, Sam Harris the same thing could be said where he appeals to tons of people who are able to see the problem with dogma uh, and, you know, particularly the fundamentalist implementation of dogma. Um, so I, I think that area where they agree and they're kind of creating these conversations has been incredibly helpful. Yeah.
0: And, and I think Tom, what, what you just highlighted, their ability to do that steel manning to, to restate the other person's position. When, when you hear somebody that, you know, you have a disagreement with, I'm hearing. Now. I'm not hearing it. It's coming from somewhere. Um, when, when, when you hear somebody restate your position accurately, that whole fight or flight response goes away. Yeah. You Cause they feel like they are being validated. A- You're like, yeah. Oh, they did hear me. They did understand me. So it takes time. It takes work. It's a skill to develop. Yeah. But if you can approach people like that, where you're restating what you're hearing, you're doing it with respect. And then, you know, like even ask, well, I, I see this differently. Do you want to engage in this conversation? You know, so they don't feel steamrolled. Maybe that's a way. To, to slowly put the walls down and have a conversation. So it's not just like, you're wrong here, you're wrong here, you're wrong here, and then you just got walls up and arrows yeah. flaming and <laughs> shooting and attacking and cue the sting song, Fortress Around yeah.
3: You. Yeah, well, I mean, because if you, if you're going to ever put any cracks in the foundation of some of these fundamentalist sort of people... I mean, one way to do that is to restate their position in a way that might give them pause just slightly. You know, like if, if I were to say to my dad, like, are you saying that you think that gay is a choice? Is that what you're saying? Because there's scientific evidence that disproves that position. Is that what you're saying? And I don't need to, then I don't need to be the one that says, well, I disagree with you because you're ignorant and you're an old timer. So that's yeah, but stupid.
0: you also just told him that he's wrong because scientists have told him that he's
1: wrong.
3: Well, but, but if I say, do you think that being gay is a choice? Is that what you're saying? Is that what you're really saying? And then you, maybe then you can introduce them to someone who's gay. Say, now tell this person to their face. That's they still joke. pretty, that's, that seems pretty confrontational to me, Tom. I know. It's like every, every, every analogy I keep like, oh, all right, let's, let's turn this on its head. Are you, go. are you really this stupid dad? Are you really, wait, you're really saying this? Cause I'm, I'm in the, cause I'm in the world to <laughs> pretend that I feel like I can do that. In the re- <laughs> reality, I couldn't do that in the, at all. So,
0: so I want to, I want to ask you, Bill, because th- this was, um, uh, your, your, uh, recommendation that we listen to, to this and have a conversation about it? Have we touched on the things you want to talk about or are there other things that you want to bring up?
1: Um, one of the videos I sent you was Jordan just sitting down with a woman and she's asking him what his concept of God is. And he, and he essentially says like, I don't feel comfortable saying any more than I've said.
0: He gets angry. Um, that's like angry Jordan. That's, the, right, that's the Jordan Peterson that I don't like.
1: And what he hits on, and, and, they, and I think it, they hit on it in this conversation, too. Uh, one of the things that goes along with fundamentalism is the idea of certainty, right? The reason that things can't be questioned is because the leaders at the top of a system uh, are imposing certainty that they've got it right. And both Jordan and Sam Harris, uh, in part one there, there's a conversation um, – having to do with the idea. Uh, let me think about this for just a second. And, and Bill, do you want me to Go bring ahead. up that, that uh, clip, that
0: other one, because that one was pretty short. We could watch it.
1: Uh, it I, I think it's, I like it. So uh, I'm, I'm not as much of a fan of Jordan when he gets into political rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like what he does with religion. And I remember now Sam Harris and Jordan are both talking about the idea that, the moment you start to define it rigidly, the, the moment you start to l- label it and give it a name and call it something you 've missed it you 're too you 're too far away from it, it the, the people who are most specific about say what God is, for instance yeah um, they 're the ones who are the furthest away from it and, and now that we you know this group here we've woke up and, and i 'm assuming we 've all left Mormonism to one degree or another. And, as we look back at Mormonism, we're like, "Wow, I put those guys on a pedestal, but they're the guys who are ignorant they're the guys who are naive they're yeah. the guys who aren't listening to the science or the data they're so certain and I think Jordan and Sam in agreement, when they talk about whatever that invisible thing out there is, and obviously sam's a non believer, and Jordan's trying to argue that it's worth holding on to but they but Jordan makes the point like the moment we get too close to it. We've actually shown the entire world we're so far away. And, and I'm only saying that because the little clip, if you want to play it, you can. The little clip, I think, demonstrates that. it's When I hear Richard Rohr talk, when I hear Rob Bell talk, when I hear uh, John Shelby Spong, when I hear um, the Liturgist I podcast. Guys. Yeah, I, I've
0: heard a couple episodes of Liturgists, and, and I've heard
1: those names before, but
0: I haven't listened to any of their stuff.
1: They, they hit on the values, but they're never defining the physicality of the invisible. Yeah. And by doing that, you make a space where everybody can feel and, and enter into a space of enlightenment. Uh, and it's when people are certain about the physicality of the invisible, that they shut down th- the conversation. It's no longer of yeah. value to me yeah. um, to be in that space where someone is in the room going like, look, I know you're wrong. And well, this yeah. is how it is, and and, and th- this is one of
0: my frustrations with Sam Harris when when I listen to him is because I feel like he cherry picks certain attributes of God and then presents them as this this is the whole thing that most people believe in, and it's re- he's creating a straw man that makes it really easy for him to dismiss. Not a
3: straw man because it, he- it is
0: because it's it's not it's not accurate. It's not it's not representative of. And and that was that was the point that Jordan. Peterson was making when Sam Harris was saying the, the way that people traditionally view God and Jordan's like, hang on a second. What, what tradition are you talking about? Cause if we go back to the old mm-hmm. Testament, it, yes. it says, don't even define God. Don't even, like, as soon as you start to define him, then you've lost it. So, so he, Jordan was actually kind of critiquing Sam's using these examples of this is what a God is that doesn't want you to masturbate or, um, you know, it's okay to rape virgins or, you know, like, like these kinds of things that, yeah, there are people who believe in those kinds of things uh, of, of God, but is that indicative? Is that what Jordan's talking about? Um,
3: Who knows what Jordan's talking about? Because he, the thing (laughs) is like, even Sam, even Sam is trying to nail down the Judeo Christian God. And I think that's where he was pointing there, at least in that scenario. But Jordan immediately was like, well, you know, let's talk about God in more of a force sort of sense. Like, it is, God is all of us or whatever it is. You know, he's so slippery, dude. So <laughs> I, th-
2: I think it would have been interesting if Sam Harris would have tied Jordan down and just said, you're basically saying you believe God is everything and right. is a divine design. And that's basically what you're trying to say, but you're uncomfortable assigning symbols or definitions to that, but that's basically what you're trying to say.
0: He, yeah. would,
3: he would refuse to answer yeah, that. Yeah, he,
0: he would, he would, he would, he would push back on that. I think because like when, when I listened to what Jordan Peterson was saying about his, his, what God means to him or what God is to him, it was always kind of like the best of the best, you know? So there wasn't really any space for the worst of the worst. And if you're going to say that God is everything, you would have to include that as well.
2: yeah. Uh, you know, and,
0: and so I don't, I don't think that Jordan quite goes there. But, but let's watch this, this clip that, uh, that Bill sent me. Um, this is Angry Jordan, right? Yeah, he gets, he gets angry um, at this reporter.
5: Why not take on this question of the existence of God?
8: Because it's not something to reduce to a soundbite, fundamentally. But Your
5: lectures are two hours long.
8: This is true, but when you're talking about the most important questions that people have ever asked then two hours isn't very long, apparently, people will watch them. So, I'm not, I'm not prepared to... I'm not prepared to say things in any other way than I've already said them. You know, there, it isn't obvious what belief means. People think that what they believe is what they say they believe. I don't believe that. I believe that what people believe is what they act out. And so I said, I act as if God exists. That's a sufficient statement as far as I'm concerned. You know, what's the old saying? By their fruits ye shall know them. Same idea, right? It's, it's a matter of action and a matter of commitment. It's not a matter of me parading out my, my my explicit statements about a metaphysical reality that's virtually impossible to comprehend. You risk when you reduce, and I'm not willing to do that, and I'm not interested in providing people with easy answers, including me. So,
6: There's a question of whether you're working it out
8: yourself. Of course, and everyone who's honest is working it out themselves. None of us have incontrovertible knowledge about what transcends our understanding. You know, like I certainly do think well, I've learned things. I've learned that the deeper I go into the biblical stories and into religious mythology in general, cross culturally, the less I see any bottom. You can go in it into it forever, and and I've learned an immense amount doing that, and much of it has transformed my life. So, and and I also believe that the that the West is grounded on the metaphysical presupposition that human beings have a spark of the divine in them. And I don't think there's a truer way of saying that. And I also believe that it's true. Now, what that means with regards to the ultimate metaphysical realities that, that ground the entire world, I, I, I dare not say because I don't know. So I tend to try to say what I know and to leave the rest alone and, and There's plenty I don't know and plenty I can't talk about. So, but I'm talking about what I can. I'm not interested in joining a club, regardless of what the club is. So, um, I'm not going to make statements of reflecting a certainty that I don't have. So. All
0: right. That was, that was less angry and cranky than I remember watching it the first time. What, What, what did you have issues with there, Tom?
3: Um, (laughs) well okay so i agree with him that we're all trying to figure things out and i really applaud his honesty in that way but i get i get the feeling that he one he just it repels at the idea of being pigeonholed or labeled which i i would agree i think I, i think he gets i i i think he gets hammered a lot no sure i'm sure he does um, but I also think that he's also trying to placate to an, a certain audience that's out there, whether it be Christians or, you know, religious types or whatever. Cause I think that he's carved out a niche to where a lot of religious folk really love what he does and he doesn't want to alienate them by saying, I'm an atheist. And so he, he really gets defensive about being labeled or pigeonholed that way and, and I think that's part of it. I don't think it's one or the other, but I also think that he may in fact be trying to work it out, but I don't know, man, he's super slippery, dude. Super. Slippery.
5: Yeah, I'm, I'm in a Facebook group of Mormons discussing Jordan B. Peterson. And uh, the, there's a large majority of them that are active, you know, believing yeah. members of the church. So he, he, I mean, he's, he still has appeal with those folks.
4: Yeah. And yet yeah. he's
1: challenging the Mormon system there, right? Like he doesn't want to be part of a club. He doesn't, he doesn't want to be part of a group of people who say, like, here's what makes us us and those people stay out. Um, he talks about the idea that, that those things that you can't have a knowledge of, like, to stay out of that arena. Don't, don't start guessing at the invisible. Um, yeah. It's the very thing that Mormonism capitalizes on. It's mm-hmm. backtracked on everything but the invisible. And the invisible, it imposes that it still has the right answer.
5: Yeah, I'll, I'll say for me personally, Jordan Peterson's definition of God and how he approached it helped me personally be comfortable reconceptualizing God. Because as a Mormon, my views of God were very fundamentalistic in nature. You know, it, it's, a, it's a man on, on a planet next to the star named Kolob, and he has a name. And, you know, that's a very, very specific way to define God. But yeah, then you read, he you looks read, exactly
0: like Jesus when they appeared to Joseph Smith except he has Barbara. white
5: he has white hair though right that's the only difference
0: Yeah uh, he might be a little bit older
5: I think they're actually glowing uh, both yeah. of them Yeah But you know you, you read something from Jordan Peterson who says something like God is how we imaginatively and collectively represent the existence and action of consciousness across time And and that seems nebulous because it is Yeah but also at the same time you have to be like yeah okay I totally agree with that. And maybe well, when people say God and they talk about God, you personally can conceptualize what they're saying in that framework. And it just still works. I know, but but the the, the challenge against Jordan
3: is he, again, he's placating it. I, I feel like he might even be doing it intentionally. I, you he, keep coming you know, back to that, Tom. Because because Sam, when even when Sam was trying to nail him down on the definition of God or how do you believe in God, and even with this woman, I... He, he can't, he can't even begin to say anything like nothing. And the fact is, is he knows what people, how they define God and how they believe in God. And he, and he doesn't, I don't know if he doesn't want to make ripples towards them or what, but he, he, he I don't think Jordan Peterson
0: gives a damn about making ripples. I think, yeah. I think one of the reasons that he's skyrocketed to popularity over the last two or three years is because he doesn't pull punches. He says what he thinks it's, You know, he's not. I don't think I don't think that he's carving anything out for a particular audience or placating anybody. I I think I think he understands and I've never heard him articulate this. I I, I don't know. I, I think he understands the idea of simulacra, which which means that there will be a symbol that represents an idea and people start worshiping the symbol and holding on to the symbol and then creating another symbol and another symbol and another symbol. And the idea behind it gets totally lost. And now people are worshiping a flag. And if the flag touches the ground or somebody burns it, they've done something horrible because look what they've done to the flag. It's a piece of cloth. It's a symbol for something, you know, but, but that's human nature. And so I think when he gets these questions, he feels like he's being baited. And he's like, oh, I'm going to step on somebody's sacred cow, and I want to avoid doing that. Um, Or or I don't want to promote simulacra. And so I'm going to try to get as far away from these symbols that are so common and familiar. And then it's just like pedantic word soup. We're not used to swimming in that
3: but he doesn't care. That's where he's, that's what he's going to do. That's what I, that's how I interpret Jordan. I, uh, yeah. And, and, and part of it, I think that his ego needs to be stroked, but whatever. No, oh, doesn't our, our, everyone's ego need to be stroked? Not like his ego needs oh to be stroked. Dude. I don't think,
1: he's not.
5: <laughs> he is a college professor. So no,
1: right. by the way, by the way, all symbols, if I'm not mistaken, are also myths, right? Like no symbol, every symbol represents an ideal, and it misses the mark uh, that flag represents sure. the United States of America, but what is the United States of America? It's a group of people and a certain body yeah. of land that we've divided with certain ways and right. we, it's all myth it's, it's, it's a ra- people well,
0: don't acknowledge it's, it's a reified idea, and reification means that you take something that is abstract and you make it concrete um and you know like it depends on how you're using. Myth has some very specific definitions in the
1: academic world, but I know what you're saying. You're saying it's, it's a, it's a fiction and it's inaccurate, right? No symbol represents the thing it's supposed to represent accurately.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to start this episode with a a little story that I wrote the other day about a, a king that wanted to know everything that was going on in his kingdom. So he commissioned a map to be made. And they made a map that was so precise; it showed everything to, to, to the to, to the detail, and it was always updated, so it was always accurate. And eventually, and so kind
1: of The point of a map missed the mark because the map was to simplify it and yeah, make it. you could take right. in the important information immediately. And yeah. now you've made it more worthwhile to just go out into the countryside and look at it yourself, or or, or you're living in the map
0: now. Now, now you've right. created the, the 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 world because it just maps onto itself it's, anyway. It's like the game, the Sims. Yeah. That, that, the, the, the book that I read about Simulacra starts off with that. So I played around with it, but were, were there other
1: things you wanted to talk about? Did you want to explore more of the idea of God, Bill? No. Cause I don't, I just don't think you'll ever get any two of us to agree. I don't think president Nelson and Dallin H Oaks can agree on what God is. I, so I don't, I don't think, I don't think, that think that it's that a worthwhile cause. Mormons. Right. I, I, I like the idea that the further we stay away from it, And we only tiptoe around its edges. I think those are the people who actually are the closest to it.
0: Oh, I think everyone is equally close to it, whether we talk about it or (laughs) not.
3: I just just get tired of people ignoring or trying to deflect the actual uh, view or definition of the majority of Christians or religious people out there, how they define God. It gets old, man, like the, the slippery definitions of God. And I, like, I get it and I, I acknowledge it. And I think a lot of it is actually really helpful and good, but don't say, I believe in God, period, end of sentence, knowing that most people define it in a certain way. And you're just going to drop that and just be like, Okay, but what if you're wrong, Tom? What if you're wrong? I've been wrong so many times. So right. Yeah. Right. So
0: it. so what if somebody's trying to communicate an idea to you and they're trying to communicate this by talking about God or how God has helped them in their life or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you stop listening because you think I don't believe in God at all, and you just totally shut them off. And maybe they don't even really believe in the God that you think that they believe. Maybe they know that they're doing it metaphorically. Uh-huh. But you don't know that you assume that. And so you just well, no, 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 up, no. And you shut down the communication right there.
3: <laughs> I, I would actually ask him, how would you define your God? I, I would want to know that I wouldn't judge. I wouldn't assume or judge them on whatever that God is. Okay. And then what do you do with that information once they tell you how they define it? Well, if they, if they believe in sort of the mythical like, idea of God or the force God or whatever it is, then I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, that's something that I can subscribe to. So, okay. Then we're seeing eye to eye here. But the problem is, is there's so many definitions of God out there. So many that that's a difficult thing to really ground and hold on to. And most Christians, especially Mormons included their their definition of God is very solid. (laughs) I mean, it's a, it's a personage of flesh and blood, dude. I mean, (laughs) I mean, that's, Next, next next Wednesday,
0: I'm I'm interviewing a, a Christian pastor named Luke Norsworthy. He's got his own podcast. Um, he wrote a book called "Good in God" or something. I'm I'm reading it right now. Man, it's been so hard for me to go in and like listen to his podcast and the people that he interviews because of the way that they talk about God. But I'm recognizing that's on me, you know. Like th- there, there's this whole demographic of people out there that I've shut myself off that I'm not hearing what they're saying because the the way that they say it is so repulsive to me for certain reasons that it, you know, but that's, that's me on it. So, uh,
3: yeah, I mean that, that's why I'm kind of pushing back the way that I am. It's, it's a struggle that I'm going through right now. Well, I think, I think it's commendable for you to at least try to understand that and, and at least uh, try to confront that, uh, uncomfortableness inside of you. I think yeah. that's, well, thank God for it because
0: he's, yeah, really. he's the one to put it there, Tom.
5: Yeah. Wait, which God are we talking about again? <laughs>
3: yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. All right. Any, any closing? Tom, do, Tom does like conflict. What was that? No, Justin said Tom just loves conflict. So I said, yeah, Tom does. Oh, like yeah, Tesla. Oh, all right.
1: Any, any final thoughts? Encourage the questioning of systems. Allow systems to be questioned. Anytime you can put your two cents in and get people to see that there are all, all there are alternative ideas, I think is always moving us in the right
3: direction. Yeah. Yeah. But to see, it and that's that's the turning of the knob. That's getting people to start thinking critically about the systems that they're in. That's yeah, we just need more of that. Yeah. Tom and, needs, they both, Tom, and they both need the more knobs.
2: And they both agreed that the free flow of information uh, was the healthiest thing to the entire system. Yeah. They both agreed that
0: That Th- that was the antidote to dogma, was yeah, yeah b- being able to have those conversations a- and I
3: think being able to disagree.
5: Yeah. Yeah, the primacy of free speech, I think, is what uh, Sam Harris said.
3: Yeah. Yeah, we just need to encourage the... What is it called? The, the system of... Ideas to be out there and to be challenged without, without any opposition, and for us to come together and to talk about ideas, and then let the good ideas float to the top and the bad ideas float to the bottom. And I think Sam would essentially say, once the bad ideas are at the bottom and we can all agree on that, we should scrape them away and then move forward. How? Scrape them away. But that's a metaphor. Yeah, it is a metaphor. But why can't we translate it into reality?
5: I think we are. I think that.
3: How,
0: how painful actions. was it for you to scrape away the things in Mormonism? At what cost did it take for you to scrape away those negative things? And are you done? Yeah, I'm done. You're, you're done scraping away all the negative stuff from Mormonism?
3: Yeah, it's clean slate. Clean
2: slate. Way to go, Tom. <laughs> Come on, Bill. Use the <laughs> words. Which word are we looking for? Bullshit! <laughs>
1: bullshit! I, I use it only once every ten episodes now. Okay, <laughs> that way you know I mean it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you don't water down, water down the bullshit. <laughs>
2: uh, we, we we all are part of where we came from. We can't erase where we came from.
3: No, yeah, you, you can't. And and I was saying that you know and to be funny or whatever. But yeah, I, I'm still scraping things away. But the thing is, is why can't we strive for something idealistic? You know, instead of just wallowing in that, well, this is the way it is and it sucks, you know, you know, we're, we are who we are and everybody takes their own journey. So anyways, uh, so what's on TV tonight? Like that sounds, that sucks, dude. I mean, I, I really think that we should be idealistic and that's what I think Sam Harris is. I think he, you know, he gets criticized a lot for being too idealistic or striving for a utopia or whatever. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I think that we should be focusing on that and tr- and striving for it. Maybe it is unrealistic, but I still think we should be striving for it.
5: Yeah. Uh, I, I think f- f- for me early on in, in my, my, uh, my journey here, you know, awaking from orthodoxy, let's, let's say Sam Harris really, really appealed to me. And in the past year or so, uh, I've been more team Jordan Peterson. Like if you're going to put them on different teams, I think, I think for the most part, they're on the same team. Yeah. but uh jordan peter like i started going back to church uh and that's going to be an unpopular opinion perhaps uh, on the podcast but i've been my wife is always gone but uh i'm active again and it's in large part due to this reconceptualization of god and and myth and and working within an existing framework uh and bill uh, a part of it's too that is that you're a bishop and state president don't live in my ward and uh (laughs)
3: I think, see, I thought you were going to say, because I have an iPhone that has games on it.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, but that's, it's been incredibly valuable. You know, when, when you leave your, your value system behind, let's say, and you have to reevaluate, well, what really are my values? Uh, And you put something at the top of that value hierarchy. That's something akin to make the world better then you're kind of left to be like, well, how am I supposed to do that? How, how am I going to make the world better? Yeah, I'll start with myself. And then maybe I'll move out to my family. And, and then maybe after that, where, where do I go? What, what framework and what community am I going to make the world better in? And for some people, they're able to find that. Uh, and maybe perhaps for others, they don't push themselves to find it, right? Um, but I think that's a valuable lesson and that's a valuable part of all of this. I think the, the one truth that all religious systems point to is that the loss of self is valuable and it brings peace uh, and brings satisfaction uh, and that's a worthwhile way to live life Um, and i think both both of these guys help people do that in different ways and that's what's so fascinating about these conversations uh, especially amongst mormons you know ex-mormons post-orthodox mormons whatever you want to call us uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating discussion, and I think it's changing. We're changing Mormonism. Uh, it is, you know, the vast majority of Mormons think that at any moment uh, Jesus is going to come flying through the sky and burn all the wicked. But, but that, that number of Mormons is shrinking uh, substantially every day. And uh, it'll be fascinating to see what, what the Mormonism of 5 to 10 to 15 years is going to be like because of conversations like this.
3: Well, yeah, but it also worries me that those pockets that start to shrink, they be, they double down, they double down, and then they become more toxic or problematic, and that worries me a lot. Because you know, it, it is good to think optimistically that, like you said, Christian, that we're we're on a really high uh, mm-hmm. watermark of of achieving more of a I don't know, fringy pulling away from religion and stuff like that, especially with if you talk to the youth nowadays, it's really, really uh, wonderful to see and to hear uh, sort of their outlook on things. And a lot of it is because of those of us that have kind of run the gauntlet and had our own faith crises and, and we, can, we can pull them out a little bit earlier and say, you know, I think your life is going to be way more beneficial than having to deal with this identity faith crisis shit. And so <laughs> it's just... Yeah let's just give you a leg up on that. And I think that's nice. Cool. All
0: right. Thanks guys. Oh no. Did we just have somebody join? (laughs) We're done. (laughs) Christina Peterson, Jordan's wife. No, that's what (laughs) the (laughs) need. All right. Well, thanks guys. Uh, enjoyed the conversation. um, Uh, we're, we're going to do another one of these on Sunday. I think it's 12 noon Eastern. I have to double check on that. But with, uh, Tammy Whiting talking about the book enough.
3: I want to join on that one, man. Yeah. 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 I'll just just be a fanboy. Yeah. The, the, I I've started, I've started reading the book. There's not an audio
0: book to it. I think we're just going to focus on chapters five and seven, um, with that, but I'll, I'll put up a, a post on Patreon.
3: There's uh, not an audiobook, right? no. I, I wasn't <laughs> able to find one. Yeah. So yeah. tell tell Tammy that. Well, I guess we can all tell her to to slowly read it into a microphone to submit it to Audible. There That's you the go. Right. right. Yeah, but she probably has to get the rights to it first. So. Oh, does she not have the rights to it? Is it not? No, 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 no. It's not her book. It, it's
0: it's a book called Enough. Um, that she. It, it's a different author. author. Oh. Yeah. It, it's no. just a book that she likes.
3: Oh,
8: okay.
0: So. All right. Thanks, everybody. No, Thanks, yeah. guys. Thank right. you so much. Talk to you all later. Bye. All right. Did you like that conversation? Was that a good one? I still, I'll still. i be honest with you. I just skipped to the end to record this part. I still haven't listened to it. I'm going to go for a hike a little bit uh, later today, and I'll listen to it then. But um, I want to read this comment. It's kind of a long one from Claudia. Um, Claudia lives in Norway Uh, The timing didn't work out for her to be on this episode But hoping that we can find a time next week Where Claudia can join And uh, you may remember uh, Bob and I had a conversation with her I think it was called Grumpy Old Men or something like that um, This last summer July, August, sometime around there Uh, So Claudia says, I got to listen about halfway through the clips that Glenn put together. It's been a while since I watched the conversation on YouTube. There were two of them in Vancouver, so I can't remember what they discussed in each one, but here are my quick thoughts, which hopefully aren't too incoherent or irrelevant to the conversation you guys will be having tonight. Well, Claudia, now everybody's heard the conversation we had tonight, and now we're going to hear your thoughts, and so we'll know whether or not... Maybe I should do a poll. We can say how irrelevant or uh, incoherent (laughs) are Claudia's thoughts. I'm just kidding. All right, so uh, just wanted to start off by saying how much I love... Uh, or how I love how the audience cheers wildly when Peterson steel mans Harris's view and, I, and I'm not sure which one which steel man you're talking about because I, I did start watching the beginning of part two and they both kind of steel man which I, I don't think I'd ever heard that term before it's what a response to straw man where you're steel manning is a way that you restate what the other person's saying um to try to reinforce at least that you understand their position right um so you loved it when the audience when uh, responded to Peterson Steele Manning Harris's view. I don't think it was a display of support for one team over another, but rather an indication of the hunger that people have for this type of long-form conversation. These conversations are brain orgasms. Is there another kind? of orgasm! Like they're all kind of brain orgasm, right? A brain orgasm for all of us who have been starved of intellectual stimulation and fed nothing but Sunday school or debate for the sake of scoring points. Yep. In one of my previous comments, I mentioned how these guys make me feel like that meme with the guy walking with his girlfriend. I'm still holding hands with Harris, but Peterson somehow gets my head turning via his view of the role that myth has played in our evolution. This sort of, uh, this sort of goes along with Brett Weinstein's challenge to Richard Dawkins' view that of religion as simply a mind virus and then claudia says check out the weinstein dawkins conversation on youtube if interested i am interested i haven't seen that i will definitely check that out i don't like the mind virus i think it's just inaccurate and unhelpful so yeah I'll, I'll, i'll look at that and maybe that's one that we could talk about Hey, maybe that's what we could talk about. Even though Weinstein is also an atheist, his knowledge of evolutionary biology has led him to a different theory than Dawkins. Peterson has really challenged my views here, and I absolutely love listening to Weinstein. Weinstein, Weinstein. Weinstein. I never know the right way to say that. So with zero credentials or credibility to do so, join the club. Claudia, that's what we do here. I would nonetheless speculate that once evolutionary biology and evolutionary psychology become more connected, the Dawkins religion meme, mind virus theory, will give way to the Weinstein approach. I don't even know what the Weinstein approach is. Just a little bit that I've heard from him moderating uh, this debate. I really like what he had to say, so I'm probably right there with you, Claudia. Regarding Glenn's issues with Harris and ideas, in the case of a Muslim convert who joins ISIS, these ideas don't exist in an ideological vacuum. If you listen to the accounts of Western converts to Islam, many of them begin with an attraction to Muslim culture and curiosity about the faith. For many of them, I think one of the primary motivators can be a disconnect or even resentment towards their own tribe for whatever reasons. So they enjoy being able to essentially give their own tribe the middle finger and join a new one. I can't but help but think of Sinead O'Connor's recent conversation. How do you know Sinead O'Connor's recent conversation? That's incredible to me. Sinead O'Connor's recent... Con- oh, convert... Not, not conversation. Conversion to Islam and her epic fuck you to white people. Yeah, again, I don't know what that is, but nothing compares to her, right? I'd be willing to bet that she was more motivated by bad experiences with her own tribe, i.e. white people, the allure of this shiny new tribe of undoubtedly warm and friendly people eager to get her to convert than by the actual doctrines of Islam. Yeah, or even just validation of her feeling of disgust that came for whatever reasons. Yeah, I can see that. But the psychology of converts like Sinead or recruitment of jihadi fighters is multi-layered. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that yes, Glenn, now that you've pointed it out to me, I see what seems to be an inconsistency in Harris's argument. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. You know, I mean, like I, I'm i just saying what I'm seeing and you know, I've got blind spots too. So um, yeah, but but I appreciate you saying this, Claudia. This is This is an interesting perspective and not just because it's validating me but that helps (laughs) so uh back to claudia in my personal new world order in which i get to handpick a new government with brett weinstein presiding i would put peterson and harris in charge of something i don't know exactly what i would call that particular government ministry but i would want them to share an office because i really think they bring out the best in each other that's interesting uh, I like, for example, how Harris challenges Peterson on his view of God and whether he believes in God, even though I'm still at a loss to understand his answer. Well, we talked about that a little bit in this discussion. I don't know if it makes it any clearer. I get that Peterson has a complicated definition of God, but he constantly evades answering yes or no to the question, according to Harris's rather simple definition of what constitutes God. Yeah, yeah we did. we definitely did touch on that. In the end... I feel that Peterson wants to hold on to myth because of what he re, uh, regards as it being a natural part of the human psyche and being a sort of moral glue for society. Yeah, I think so. I, I think I think also that he sees that there's reflective value in it, you know? And, and it's really interesting to me to listen to the way that he talks about how myths rose. And he does this a little bit in the beginning of part two, I think. Um, of the, uh, the that second night discussion in Vancouver about um, ways of codifying information and passing down i mean this is, this is one of the the functions of folklore that that I, I learned in graduate school uh, that folklore often serves as a way of teaching lessons or reinforcing social norms so if if you have certain behaviors that are beneficial to the group, you would want to reinforce those through stories. Um, and then, of course, what happens with all of these stories, these symbols, is that people come in and start treating them like, like they're literal, and then people can come in and ab- abuse them and take them in different directions and you know, things like that. But anyway, I, I, think, I think Peterson wants to hold on to myth because there's tremendous value in exploring it. But there, there's value in exploring really any, any kind of work of art. You know, what, what, what is your response to it? What are you bringing to it? What are you learning from it, etc.? Um, so back to Claudia, maybe we're better off with our myths or fictions, like in a sapient sense, in terms of maintaining social cohesion. Maybe it can save us from nihilism, or maybe just from the type of apathy that a lot of us ex-Mormons or former believers tend to feel. I at least do sometimes feel apathetic, cynical, and borderline nihilistic about life. But maybe it's the ex-Mormon in me that's a stickler for truth and not wanting to build my life around a myth no matter how useful it is. <laughs> I mean, this distinction between truth and myth is fascinating to me because isn't myth part of the truth? I mean, if you're recognizing that myth is something that exists, it's true, it's real, it's something that can be defined, it's something that can be measured on the impact that it has on people. I mean, it's a it's a tool, it's a real thing. So it, you know, like why, why is it not truth? Um, oh, because the stories that are in it aren't accurate. They're not precise. Um, they're made up. They're distorted. Like what are what are the things that makes it truth? And how is that different from other versions of truth that are also different perspectives from different vantage points, um, where there is a relativity. Um, And and I mean that in more of the sense of Einstein's theory of relativity than I do in uh, cultural or moral relativity. But anyway, I'll go back to what you're saying here, Claudia. Um, uh, The the ex-Mormon in you that is a stickler for truth and not wanting to build my life around a myth no matter how useful it is. In that sense, I still feel more at home with Harris's view, even though I'm not sure it's the most realistic one when one considers how deeply myth is woven into the fabric of virtually every society and culture on the earth today. I just don't foresee most people giving up these myths in favor of science, perhaps if only because it is ingrained in us through evolution to accept and perpetuate them. But there are scientific myths that exist today, and, and that's not an insult to science. I'm not like poking my finger in science's eye and saying, "Ha ha, you're a fiction too." You're, you know, but it, it's the same process. It's the same thing. So when we have the the narrative about the Big Bang, or we have a narrative, you know, we we have these stories that are derived from facts. And one of the points that I wanted to make in the course of this conversation that you just heard that. For whatever reason, it just didn't, the timing was never right to, to, to cut in. But even, even scientists who are working with facts, there are different schools of interpretation, right? So you'll, you'll, you can have like three or four different main ways of viewing these facts that people will, for whatever reason, go, okay, I lean more this way, I lean more that way. And there's movement and there's shift you know, as as people are getting better information and updating and making changes, but th- this this idea of, well, facts are going to bring us to one truth. we don't I don't know that we really even see that as an evidence or in evidence that that's happening. And um anyway, yeah, I, I find this interesting. This is why I put this at the end of the conversation, by the way, so that I could ramble and not feel like I'm You know, like, if you guys don't want to hear my rambling, you want to turn it off, just turn it off. (laughs) Anyway. Um, So let's get back, because the comment's almost done. Uh, The myth is woven into the fabric of virtually every society and culture. I just don't foresee most people giving up these myths in favor of science, if only because it's ingrained in us through evolution to accept and perpetuate them. Oh, and that was just have a good night all. Can't wait to listen to the conversation. Yes. And thank you for the comment, Claudia. And again, we'll we'll try and find a time this upcoming week. I know you said that you've got uh, some vacation time coming up, and so maybe the 15th uh, would be a good time to do something like this. We'll we'll figure it out and um, post here on Patreon so that people can join in on that conversation too. And, and maybe what we could do is focus on the Weinstein... Dawkins' view, and if it if it feels like doing more, Harris and Peterson is beating the horse that's already been beaten to death. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Anyway, thank you, Patreon supporters, for being here and uh, contributing to all of this content and sharing your views with with me and with the rest of us. And uh, thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. We'll talk again later. Oh. Welcome back to Infant Nursery Hour. You want someone to preach to you? With your host, Glenn Ostland. You want religion, do you? It's sharing time. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. <laughs> yeah. You can buy anything this world. Uh huh. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones pardon the sound quality here. I'm recording this on my built-in microphone on my laptop. I'm in a hotel room right now. Um, But I'm preparing for the conversation that I'm going to have with Bill Real and with Tom tomorrow night, Thursday. What is that? February 7th. We're going to be starting at 6.15 p.m. Arizona time. So that's 5.15 if you're in L.A. That's Eight fifteen, if you're on the East Coast. Uh, and that's going to be available for a, a live Patreon sit-in and contribution if any of you have things that you want to add to the conversation as we're going through it. So what I'm going to do today is I'm pulling out the different clips from this two-hour conversation between Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris that I want us to focus on. And of course we'll have flexibility within these clips. And some of these clips might end up being used in the final version. Some might not be used in the final version, but it's a really interesting conversation around dogma. And, and one of the things that, that is becoming more and more apparent to me is that, and, and this, this is discussed in one of these clips, this idea of disagreement being a problem. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't know that it's necessarily a problem, I guess it could be a problem, it could also be a benefit. I think it depends on how you look at the disagreement, I think it depends on how you look at conflict in general, and this is an outlook that I'm starting to change just with myself. But I think we, we focus, like each one of us focuses on different things when we're observing the world around us. And even a conversation like this between Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris, we're picking up different things. For whatever reason, we might be interested in different things. We have different experiences and different backgrounds. And so these words that they're saying, these ideas that they're talking about mean something different, even if it's just slightly different to each one of us. And so there's a value to me in sharing our differences with each other, sharing our different perspectives, seeing where those areas of conflict are and being open Understanding well, what does that mean about me? Why is it that I'm seeing the things that I'm seeing? Why is it that these other people are seeing different things? What can I learn from that? And I think as I take that approach with this, I'm learning quite a bit more. So, what I'm going to be sharing with you today are these clips that obviously I'm the one that's pulling them out. There, if you did this, you might pull out other clips. Um, and as we talk with, with Bill and Tom Tomorrow night We'll see what they think about them Compared with what I think about them Compared with what any of you think about them um, And this question about dogmatism And Like what's what, what is it that Sam Harris is really trying to do Because I, I get confused with Sam Harris I love Sam Harris There's times where I listen to him And I totally agree with what he's saying And then other times where I just don't get it and I, I know I've had interactions with some of you where you're asking, "Why don't you like Sam Harris or why why do you have a problem with Sam Harris in this area?" I think it's just the areas that I'm focusing on. So there's a couple places here where he'll say something, and I really agree with it, but that I don't know how it fits with some of the other things that he's saying that It's just, you know, I'm not saying that it's Sam Harris that's having a problem. I just uh, am having a difficult time seeing it. In some of those cases, and maybe you have a similar experience with it. So anyway, that's what today is for sharing time. I'm sharing these clips with you with very little uh, discussion or interjection in between the clips because I want to save that for our conversation on Thursday night. But if you want to join with us on Thursday night, and you're able to, that's awesome. If there's things that you want to add to the conversation and you're not able to join, Claudia, I'm looking at you all the way in Norway. you know, write your comments. Put 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 your comments on here, and then when I when I take the audio and I create the episode that ends up being released on the general feed, um, I, I will include your comments if you write them down as as part of the conversation, even if you can't be there live as we're discussing it. So that's what today's going to be. And then I also want to remind you that Sunday um, we're going to be doing another live discussion with Tammy Whiting on the book Enough. So I'll put another post on Patreon in the next day or two to prepare you for that. And that one doesn't have an audio book. So unfortunately, I'm not able to put clips together for that one. But anyway, we'll be doing that. And, uh, yeah, there's a bunch of things I want to talk about, but I'm not going to cram it all into right now. We'll just do the, the Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris dogma clips and call it a day. So thank you for being Patreon supporters. Here are your clips.
7: I suspect that what's going to happen tonight is actually historical, which doesn't necessarily make it good. There's lots of bad history. It could be good, though, and that's what I'm hoping will happen. So the reason I say I think it's historical is that we are existing in a moment where all of the systems that have helped us make sense are breaking down. The university systems are breaking down, (laughs) journalism is breaking down, and at that same moment we have a network of people who are trying to make sense in an alternative way and I have to say I think beating the odds for the moment. So here's the problem that network is not entirely in agreement with itself about some significant issues. And Sam and Jordan have some differences that have proved very difficult.
0: All right. So the reason that I picked this clip and and that's Brett Weinstein, Weinstein, who is moderating the conversation. um, And he makes some really, really good points later on. I've included a couple clips from, from Brett. Um, I'm just curious if other people see this, that systems are breaking down. If so, what are those systems? What does it mean that they're breaking down? And you know, and then here is this first little hint of suggestion that the problem is that the networks that replacing these systems aren't in agreement, and so non-agreement is a problem. That's the question that I want to ask and want to discuss with Bill and Tom and any
6: of you who join. I just want to express my motive for uh, for. Helping to stage these events, and because I, you know, I I reached out to Jordan, and uh, it really was born of seeing him in conversation with people other than myself. I saw him do a podcast with with Joe Rogan. I saw him speak to Dave Rubin. I saw him speak with Brett on on Rogan's podcast, and uh, I had so much admiration for him in those conversations. So ninety percent of what he said in those conversations struck me as really wise and useful and well intentioned, and ten percent didn't and but I, and I noticed that I mean, it was it's clear, it's clear to me that that you know seeing these successful conversations with other people who I respect, I began to wonder that you know I might be the problem uh, and I, I think I, I think I am the problem I think I, uh, Well, before you applaud, maybe I didn't mean that quite the way you took it. Uh, I, I think it's i think it's a good sort of problem for Jordan to have because it's what happens on those 10% moments and, and what doesn't happen that I think uh, made our conversation so hard. And and I, I think we, there is stuff to clarify between us. So I look forward to doing that, and, and thank you, Jordan, for agreeing to do this. And, and again, here we have this idea
0: of... A problem being that they don't agree, and that they need to agree in order for that ten percent or or whatever, um, you know, Sam Harris says that he disagrees with. Uh, I I also am curious. What do you think the audience was responding to when they were applauding so loud that Sam Harris is a problem or or the problem in the equation there? And then, what is it that you heard Sam say um, in response to that? What does he think? his role is and and the difference between the conversations that he's had and these other podcasters have had with jordan peterson um i think that could be an interesting conversation but but a brief one because there's meatier stuff to get to
8: carl rogers said the psychologist was that one of a good way to have a discussion with someone is to tell them what you think they think until they think that what you said reflects what they said but look, this is a really useful thing to know if you're ever having a discussion with an intimate partner, for example, is that you have to put their argument back to them in terms they agree with. It's very difficult. So I'm gonna to try to do that. And so so the first thing is I think I think that partly what's driving you, if if, if this is accurate, is that you want to ground a structure of ethics in something solid. And and, and there's two there's two things you want to avoid, two catastrophes, let's say. One is the catastrophe that you identified with re- religious fundamentalism, and the other is the catastrophe that's associated with moral relativism. Is that is that reasonable? Yeah, that's good. Okay, good, good. Okay, well, no, but this... <clears throat> okay, so it, it's, crucially, it's crucially important that we get this right. Now, so, and that's something that I think we really agree on, because... I've conceptualized that slightly different than you, and, and that might be relevant, but I think of that as a pathology of order and a pathology of chaos. So the terminology is slightly different, but I think we're working on the same axis. So, so, so that's the first thing. And then in order to do that, it seems to me that's your first priority. And then maybe your second priority is something like, you know, you see undue suffering in the world, plenty of it, and you would think that things would be better if that wasn't the case, and that this morality, whatever it's going to be, is at least going to part, ground itself in part on the presupposition that the less undue suffering in the world, the better. Is that is that also reasonable?
6: Yeah, I would just add to that the the positive side of the continuum as well. So what I, as you know, the phrase I use, or the, the word I use for this is well-being. Yep. And I, I know... From having, I don't think we spoke about this on my podcast, but from having seen you in other interviews, I, I think you think that phrase doesn't capture everything one could reasonably want. Uh, but I think it does. I mean, I've just, I've, you know, it's, it's, it's an elastic suitcase term for a reason, and it's, it's actually in reading your book, I realize there's a point of contact here because you use the word being, capital B being, with as though it were imbued with significant gravitas, and and uh, so for me, and I agree with you, that's an appropriate use of, of being. And for me, well being is simply just the positive side of being. You know, there's there's the negative side, the suffering yeah. we want to mitigate. But I think I think however good consciousness can be in this universe, that the, the, the well being for me subsumes all of those possibilities. Okay. okay.
0: There were a few things that jumped out to me in this clip. Uh, one, uh, Sam Harris says something that well being is an elastic suitcase term for reason so he's using well-being and reason almost as synonyms i, I i'm not sure did you hear that too and then when he's making the distinction between being and well-being is that an important distinction to make what is it actually doing to say that there's a specific type of being that he's interested in focusing on and not really focusing on another type of being Um, Yeah, so maybe we could spend a little bit of time if that question interests anyone. Or maybe it's just me.
6: (laughs) Yeah, I I guess the the only point I was making there is that not all dogmas are created equal. Some dogmas are, on their face, more dangerous and more divisive. Right,
8: but, but what I'm curious about specifically is, because it seems to me that the dogmas of the USSR and the dogmas of Nazi Germany were as pernicious as any religious Dog, dogmas, and, and they may also share important features with yeah. pernicious religious oh, dogmas, yeah. but it isn't yeah. clear to me from your perspective what those commonalities would be.
6: Well, so, I mean, in some ways you are recapitulating an argument I've made, and this is an argument that I would make against you were you to claim, as you've, you have elsewhere, that that Atheism is responsible for the greatest atrocities of the 20th century. The idea that Stalinism and Nazism and fascism were expressions of atheism simply doesn't make any sense. I mean, in the case of fascism and and Nazism, it doesn't make any sense because the the fascists and the Nazis, by and large, were not even atheists. I mean, Hitler wasn't an atheist, and he was talking about executing a divine plan, and he got lots of support from the churches, and the Vatican did nothing to stop him, and fascism, as you know, uh, coexisted quite happily with Catholicism in Croatia and Portugal and Spain and Italy. So, but even in the case of Stalin, what was so wrong with that situation was, were all of the ways in which it so resembled a religion. You had a personality cult, you had dogmatism uh, that uh, held sway to a point where apostasy and blasphemy were killing offenses you know I mean, the, the people who 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 didn't toe the line were eradicated and you know and so, and so to to take a more modern example north korea is a religious cult it just doesn't happen to be a, a one that is focused on the next life or or you know supernatural claims of so what of would magic. be the def-
8: okay so what would be the defining characteristics of a religious totalitarian movement that would make it different from a non-religious totalitarian movement well, it's I mean, just, because they, there's aspects they, that they, are they, similar
6: yeah they may yeah they're very similar I mean, the, the problem is dogmatism the overarching problem is believing things strongly on bad evidence and be, be and the reason why dogmatism is so dangerous is that it is it doesn't allow us to revise our bad ideas in real time through conversation it is it, dogmas have to be enforced by force or the threat of force because the moment someone has a better idea you have to shut it down in order to preserve your dogma okay
8: okay so so the commonality seems to be something like claims of absolute truth at some level that can't be that you're no longer yeah. allowed to discuss
0: yeah what i liked about this Clip is the attempt to sift out. If you're going to do the baby in the bathwater metaphor, maybe that's the easiest shorthand to use here. Uh, what are the real problems in trying to increase well being and uh, reduce unnecessary suffering in the world? Is it and, and what are the parts of religion that do it? What are the parts outside of religion? Let's really focus on those things and not just go after. Religion, because religion maybe does more things than just those things, and so can we have a discussion about what those positive things are? You know, that sort of thing. So that that's what I thought was interesting about that clip right there.
6: The only thing that's wrong with religion is the dogmatism. If you if you get rid of the dog, I've got no problem with the buildings and the music and the and the paintings and.
8: Wait! Wait! No, that wait! Wait! Wait a minute! Wait a minute. That's not a trivial. That's not a trivial point, and it's not just a joke because the buildings and the music are very important parts of the religious process. Yeah. And so I know I know there's a humorous element to that, but it's and, not but, like Sam is throwing out the baby with the bathwater there. And, and, but, and, and, so, and,
6: to, and to go further than that, I, I've got no problem. In fact, I'm deeply interested in the phenomenology of spiritual experience. So so whatever experience someone like Jesus had, whoever he was historically, or any of the other. Uh, Matriarchs and patriarchs of, of the world's religions. Those, that, that phenomenology is is subjectively real. I mean, it's diverse. I'm not saying everyone's had the same experience, but there are changes in consciousness that explain both how religions have gotten founded by their their founders and the experiences people have had in the presence of those people or by following their methodologies that seem to be confirming of the dogmas that got, that grew up around those traditions. And my, my issue is that whatever is true about us spiritually, whatever opportunity being born into this universe actually presents as a matter of, of consciousness uh, spiritually, that truth has to be deeper than accidents of culture and just mere historical contingencies, the fact that somebody was born in in Mesopotamia and not in China and got a different language game. Uh, So whatever is true there has to be understood in universal terms about the nature of human psychology and and the human mind. You know, uh, I don't really like
0: the term accidents of culture and I don't like that that was mentioned and not unpacked or discussed uh, because I've... I'm quite invested in the idea of culture and the role that every person has in creating and maintaining culture. So thinking that it's an accent, I think what he's talking about there is that you're just born into a culture and you don't really have any say of the culture that you're born into. And maybe even the impact that you're able to have on the culture once you're a part of it is minimal. But collectively, it's huge because culture is created by Humans, it's a collective endeavor. And so to just call it an accident and leave it at that, I don't like. (laughs) So there are other things in that clip that we could talk about too, but that was the main thing that I wanted to point out there the the accident and the culture sort of thing. But it it really leads into this next bit um, about chimpanzees and like really trying to get to the core of human nature and what is the intersect between human nature, reality, culture, um, and and the quest for well-being, maybe.
8: One of the things that was really shocking to me, I would say, was the, the, my reading of what was originally Jane Goodall's discovery about chimp behavior, you know, because there was this idea that was really rooted in Rousseauian thinking that the reason that people committed Atrocities in the service of their group identity, let's say their tribal identity, was because culture had corrupted us. So it was a uniquely human thing. But then, of course, Goodall showed in the 1970s that. The chimps at Gombe, I think thats I'm pronouncing that correctly, yep. would go on raiding parties, right? And, and so there'd be like four or five adolescent chimps, usually male, sometimes with a female in there. They would patrol the borders of their territory. If they found an interloper on the border, near the border, from another troop, even if it was a member of their troop that had emigrated so to speak and that they, mm. they that they had had some history with they would tear them to pieces and of course that was shocking to Goodall, but and and I, I, my understanding is she had some trepidations about publishing it although she did but then that's been noted repeatedly in other forms of chimp behavior so see i've been really interested in the commission of atrocity in the service of belief and it's tempting to pin that say on on dogma and then to associate that with religious dogma. I think that's all tempting. But the fact that chimps do it shows that it can't be a consequence of something like religious belief unless you're willing to say that the reason that chimps commit atrocity in the service of their troop and their territory is because chimps are religious. And so they're not religious and they don't really hold a secular totalitarian viewpoint, but they act out, they still act out the the atrocity element that's characteristic of human behavior. And so, to me, that makes the problem deeper than one of mere, let's say, surface statements well, surface statements about yeah, yeah. metaphysics. Well,
6: the, obviously, the problem of primate aggression, which we've inherited along with the Shims, is deeper, or at least different, than the problem of religious violence or, or totalitarian okay. political structures that, that okay, get good. the worst out of people. So... Uh, I mean, we have, we have these primate capacities that we have to correct for, and we're busily trying to correct for almost everything that we've been evolved to do. I mean, we're not, we, you know, we don't like the state of nature for good reason, and virtually everything that's good about human life is born of our, I would argue, culture-based and, and you know, highly intelligent and necessary effort to to mitigate what is in fact natural for us and nat- I mean, tri- there's nothing more natural than tribal violence which of the sort that you're, okay. you're okay. describing okay. in chimps.
8: Okay, so so then that it also seems like we agree that the, the core element of tribal alliance which would have its roots say in, in the chimpanzee proclivity to or its analog in the chimpanzee proclivity to identify with the dominance hierarchy of the troop mm. is something that's a source of the proclivity for human social aggression that's independent of its at, at least in, independent of any obvious religious substrate. So there are other yeah. reasons for group belief and the commission of atrocity that can't be directly attributed to to religious dogma.
6: Yeah, but, but, I mean, as, and what most worries me about religion, I would say, I mean, obviously religion can channel these primate urges in unhappy ways. So you, you can get tribal yeah. violence that gets amplified by religious dogmatism, and that should trouble everyone. But it's not unique to religion, it's also nationalism, and it's racism, and it's all other kinds of dogmatism. But what most worries me are those cases where clearly good people, who are not necessarily captured by tribalism, per se, uh, are doing the unthinkable based purely on religious doctrines that they believe wholeheartedly without good evidence. you have the person who joins ISIS who, who wasn't even Muslim before they converted, you know, 16 months ago, and they go all the way down the rabbit hole to the, the most doctrinaire, most committed, most uncompromising view of just how you have to live in this world if you're going to be Muslim, uh, and they join ISIS based on the idea that salvation only goes one way, and that dying in defense of the one true faith is the the best thing that can happen to you. There's no question that there are individuals who have made that journey. In fact, there are individuals by the thousands who have made that journey. And there are far more benign versions of that. There are people who just waste their lives, I would argue, converting to whatever the belief system is and just wasting a lot of time worrying about hell or worrying about the fact that their child is gay and the the creator of the universe doesn't approve of that. Uh, And there are all, all kinds of suffering that strike me as truly unnecessary born not of again ape-like urges but ideas that any rational person would if believed would would follow to the, that same terminus i mean the, the, the thing is if you buy if you buy the fact again to take islam as as a current example if you buy the claim that the Quran is the perfect word of the creator of the universe, never to be superseded by anything humanity does now or a thousand years from now, that commits a rational... Per- that then then the exercise of human reason is bounded by this, I would argue, pathological frame, which leads to certain outcomes that can- should really work. All right, all right. Okay,
0: I know I said I wasn't going to interject very much in this one, but man, okay, so I, I used this clip... At the end of part one of my conversation with Anthony Miller, because the chimp proclivity for attacking people outside of their tribe, that Sam Harris in here, in this clip, he admits that that's something that we inherited. But then he moves away from it. And so, you know, like the previous clip where it talks about the importance of understanding the human mind and human psychology – This is where I I have – I just don't understand. I don't understand why he takes this in the direction that he takes it because he he says – and I should go back and listen to get the specific words that he used. But he's talking about people who are not motivated by tribalism per se or they're not subscribed to tribalism per se. What does that even mean? That, that And he talks about that their interests are purely
6: ideological. He uses this word pure. I, I'm, I've got to find it again. The, the, obviously, the problem of primate aggression, which we've inherited along with the chimps, is deeper or at least different than the problem of religious violence or, or totalitarian uh, okay. p- political structures that, that okay, get the worst out of people.
0: Okay. Now why, why are we saying that this is obvious? What, why, why Sam are you saying obviously it's much deeper than these other like expressions, whether it's religious or secular of dogmatism is basically what he's talking about. Isn't there a very strong connection between our biologically evolved instincts? Which I, I'm interpreting this through the Jonathan Haidt righteous mind elephant rider metaphor, where the the elephant represents all of these deeply inherited biological instincts that mostly exist outside of our conscious mind awareness. It's it's deep in our Subconscious, deep in our DNA. It gives us these gut feelings of repulsion to things that seem other, that seem like they're outside. And we inherit this. And so, how, how is it? Uh, And so I agree that it's deeper than these things, but not that it's different than these things that then whether the, the remember the metaphor that Jonathan Hyatt uses, that the writer will create post hoc narratives to explain why the elephant is doing what it's doing. So the writer in that analogy is the intellect. It's the reason, and it's trying to interpret why our subconscious instincts are making us feel or do things that we don't quite understand with our reason or intellect. And so we make up these stories after the fact that usually are wrong. These stories are usually wrong, whether it's a religious story, whether it's a secular story, but it's still being driven by these biological instincts. And I think that's the point that Jordan Peterson was making when he says, if you look at the chimps doing this, then you can't really blame it on religion. But but Sam continues on and he says, well, well but these are separate things. These are obviously separate things. And there has to be some realm where somebody can use their reason or intellect, the metaphorical rider, to control the elephant and change the elephant. But that goes against what Jonathan Haidt's findings were in The Righteous Mind. And if you haven't read The Righteous Mind and you think that Jonathan Haidt's just making up this story about an elephant and a rider without any substantial scientific data behind it, go read the book. <laughs> you know, it's he's he's not making it up. It's not just a silly little metaphor. It's it's pretty pretty solid from what I can see. Again, my focused perspective, if you can see something different and show it to me, I would love to see that and, and adjust the way that I am looking at this. But this is this is why I'm having a disconnect with what Sam Harris is saying. And there's a, there's a few other things that I want to highlight. Um, there's another part of that last clip that I want to find, some of the language that he uses. So hang on a second here. And
6: what most worries me about religion, I would say, I mean, obviously religion can channel these primate urges in unhappy ways. So you you can get tribal violence that gets amplified by religious dogmatism and that should trouble everyone. But it's not unique to religion. It's also nationalism and it's racism and it's all other kinds of dogmatism. But what most worries me are those cases where clearly good people who are not necessarily captured by tribalism per se uh, are doing the unthinkable Based purely on religious doctrines that they believe wholeheartedly with, without good evidence.
0: All right. The, fir- the first thing, if, if I'm hearing Sam Harris right, he's saying that these urges can be channeled through religion, right? That, like, the religion exists and then it's bringing out the worst of these instincts and he does talk about how important it is to try to overcome the worst parts of our inherited nature i've got yeah, no problem with that the question is how and <coughs> pardon me and can we agree on how much of what we do is based on our inherited nature and how much control we actually have with our rational mind. It's, it's the elephant and the rider metaphor again. I don't necessarily see it that religion channels these things. I, I, because that the the way that I picture that in my mind is kind of like religion is created independently of this. And then it reaches down and it grabs into this subconscious pool of instincts and it pulls out these, these things. I, I think that what happens is that the instincts come first and in a, in an effort to try to make them have some kind of a meaning religion is adopted. Uh, and, and sometimes the religion for those of us who were born into the church is superimposed on us from a very young age. And it's, uh, you know, as we're becoming aware of these instincts that we've inherited, we're also being given immediately this narrative to explain what it means. And it's a fiction you know, So we grow up thinking that the Holy Ghost is this feeling of enlightenment or elevation emotion that Anthony talked about, and that's our narrative. But I don't think it starts with the narrative and then goes down to the instincts in, in quite that sense. And so I don't think that you can just focus on the narrative as a way to really get to those negative instincts that need to, to change and so when Sam Harris says that there are otherwise good people who aren't bound up by tribalism per se, I'm I'm thinking, but those are really, really deeply held instinct. How do you know when you're looking at somebody that they're not bound up by tribalism? Because they're telling a different narrative, they're telling a different story, but you don't know what they're actually carrying around inside of them. And, and we're talking about us. I'm talking about me. I don't even know my own tribalism in my gut, (laughs) you know, like repulsion to others. And we think, oh, well, we shouldn't be racist or we shouldn't be sexist or we shouldn't be thisist. But it it all stems with this really deeply inherited aversion to the other, I think. Um, and, And so when Sam Harris says that they're doing horrible things, purely in the name of religion, okay, you're creating a straw man there because nothing is purely in the name of this, this fictional narrative that's being created to try to post hoc explain the impulses and the instincts. So that's, that's what confuses me. Like I, I hear other things that Sam Harris says, and I, I would think that he would agree with this. And then he doesn't, and so I don't understand why. So I'll leave it at that. I'll be interested to hear, Bill and Tom, if you have any insights on that, any of the rest of you, if you have any insights on on that, because this is a really interesting part of the conversation for me. But it's not the only one. So let's get to the the other clips, and I'll only do about three or four more.
8: It's a funny thing, though. I mean, it's, it's a strange thing, let's say, that... One of the things we already agreed on, as far as I can tell, is that the antidote to pathological dogmatism is, is free, truthful expression, something like that. Is, is that? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, but... Well, but one of the things I would say that's absolutely crucial to Christianity in particular is the notion that the thing that's redeeming is exactly that, and it doesn't matter, so it's universal truth. Now, if we both agree on that, the idea that the free expression of truthful speech is the antidote, let's say, both to nihilism and to totalitarianism, then the notion that that might be embodied in something like the Word, which is truly, I think, the deepest of Christian ideas, is That why, is, how is that not the same claim? Now, let, let me elaborate it more a little bit more 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 completely. So here here's the strange thing. First of all, I agree with you, by the way, about the danger of flying off the text, right? About as you move away from the text your interpretation gets less and less constrained. And I think it's also the same danger as move of moving away from the facts, which is I think why you want to ground values in facts. So I get that argument and I think it's accurate. But here but here's here's something strange is that this notion that redemptive that redemption is to be found in truthful speech, is actually embodied in Christian mythology, let's say, as a personality and not as an idea. It's actually something that you embody and act out. It's not just an idea. And that's why there's an emphasis on the idea of the embodiment of the word in flesh. It's a very sophisticated idea. I mean, it's, just, it's an insanely sophisticated idea. So, and, okay, well, and, and there's I, one, one more thing, And, and okay, so look, you, you, you've made the case, and, and I hope we can really get to this, because this is the really tough part of our discussion, I think, is that you want to ground the world of values in something that's true. We could say objectively true, but let's just say true for a minute. And I share that desire. But, but the problem is, is that I can't see, and you actually state this in your book, I can't see how you can interpret the world of facts without an a priori interpretive structure. And, and this is an old philosophical claim, it's not unique to me, it's, it's the claim of Kant, for example, that you can't get directly from the fact to the value because there's an interpretive framework that mediates between you and the fact. And the, so first of all, I'd like to know if you accept that proposition. And then the second question would be, if you do accept the proposition, then what's your understanding of the nature of the interpretive framework? Because I think it's best understood, at least in part, in as a personality. My...
0: Opinion. Story this was the most bat. crucial question that was asked in the entire course of this two hour discussion. What, what are the interpretive devices between the facts of the real world and our ability to understand them and apply meaning to them? There's something in between them. And so th- this is something I want to spend some time discussing with bill and tom and any of you who join <laughs> and i'm just getting t- tired of saying that but you know it is what i want to do so um i'm, I'm curious to know what other people think uh, what other people think about it and i've got my own views that i'll share eventually as well it it is very consistent with what you're about to hear in this next clip um from the moderator brett weinstein um, and he's talking about heuristics, and if you're not familiar with that term, heuristics just means something. It's a it's a tool or a device that helps you come to meaning. It helps you understand something. So, I, I think the first time that I ever learned about heuristics, it was like a Sherlock Holmes thing, where Sherlock Holmes has this magnifying glass, in, in a lot of the 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 early. Depictions of him that I saw as a kid, where he's looking through this magnifying glass to discover clues, and that magnifying glass was explained to me as being a heuristic device. So, th- so it's very consistent with what Jordan Peterson was asking, what are the interpretive mechanisms that help us understand the, the real wor- world? What are these heuristic devices? So that's what Brett is about to talk about here.
7: Let's swap out the idea of metaphorical truth for something a little uh, harder-headed heuristics, right? We have heuristics. We use them to perceive the world. They're often highly reliable. In fact, almost everything that you believe that lets you operate has to be a heuristic of some kind. I mean, if you decided to learn to drive and you got into the car, and they said, okay, well, it's all quarks out there, right? You need to understand how quarks interact with each other. Not useful. Right, not useful, right? What you need are some heuristics in which you can stipulate that there's something called a vehicle out there, and you don't have to be overly precise about what it is, and you learn to avoid it. Okay? The heuristics vary a lot in quality. Some of them are really good. The periodic tables are really good. Okay? Um, The idea of uh, gravitational potential energy is kind of crappy. Right? If I have a phone on a table here, I can tell you how much potential energy it, it has by measuring its mass and its distance from the ground, but if I've got a hole at one depth on one side of the table and another depth on the other side of the table, I can't calculate it because it's a crappy heuristic. Works well enough in regular stuff. Right Now here's the question. What if these religious texts are heuristics through which most people simplify calculations that they are in no position to do based on the limited amount that they are capable of perceiving, the amount that they understand about the things that are in play. So they're deploying these heuristics maybe to reduce um, things that degrade well-being. If it were Mm -hmm. true that religious heuristics uh, increased well-being by allowing people to actually, on average, operate in the world in a way that that increased well-being, what would you say about them that?
0: And if you want to go back and hear what Sam Harris has to say in response to that question, I put the link on the on the uh, original post. You can go back and, and listen to the entire conversation. Um, I just wanted to pose that question for our group to have that discussion with our group and we can bring in things that Sam says about it. I And I need to listen back to it again myself. I remember the first time I heard it, I wasn't very satisfied with his answer. I thought that it went in In directions that didn't really address what the question was, Um, but this next clip is is the result of one of those directions, and I'm really glad it went in that direction because I really, I really like what is said here. Um, It's funny. It's interesting. I can see both sides where Sam Harris is coming from, where Jordan Peterson is coming from, but it's this question about, okay, Jordan Peterson, you confuse the hell out of everybody by saying that you believe in God or that you act as if there is a God. What the hell do you mean? What does God mean to you? And this is broken up into two clips. So the first one, you're going to hear the answer and a little bit of discussion after that. And then the the final clip will be Sam Harris um, saying why he has a problem with the way that Jordan Peterson expressed himself here.
6: You say you believe in God. You have been... No, I say I act as if he exists. You say what? I
8: say I act as if he exists, okay, so...
6: which is a much more precise claim. Okay, so, so then what, what... But in this case, what... <clears throat> so you act as though God exists... Yep. And in addition, I've heard you say that I act as though God exists, that I'm, I can't really well, be so an atheist. Well, so far. So far, it seems yeah, that. Right, yeah. <laughs> we'll the, see. The, the night is young. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 so, in that sense, I'm not really an atheist. I've, I've heard you say this. So that, uh, to, Well, some of you is. Well... In, if I were really an atheist, I would be b- far more poorly behaved than in fact I am, right? I would be like Raskolnikov committing murders and, and assuming there was nothing wrong with more,
8: it. It would be more likely, yes.
6: Yeah, okay. So, so okay, That's a big distinction. I need, you would yes, I need to know. Would be more likely. What was that? It's a big distinction.
7: That you would is very different than it would be more likely. Taking the safety off the gun is not the same thing as shooting it, right?
8: Yeah. Is the it, temptations laid open to Raskolnikov would be more at hand. Okay just as they were to
6: him so what in that so in, in what sense do you mean what is the god that you act as though he she it exists and what is the what what is the god shaped thing i must have in my life to prevent me from being a quote real atheist well
8: Okay, first of all, I have to point out that there's no possible way I can answer both those questions in two minutes.
6: Well, it's, it's, it's the same question. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, what, is, okay. it's like, what, what do you mean by God? Okay,
8: well, I'm going to tell you some of the things that I mean by God.
7: Okay. Uh-oh. Uh, we, we do have to get the questions. Maybe we're going to do this tomorrow. Yeah, maybe this is where right. we, we start. Oh, God. Well, that was a pretty resounding well, maybe no. It so. seems like that constitutes an audience question, wouldn't you say? All right, I tell you what. I tell you what. Let's, okay. um... Let's do this, but let's be deliberate about time.
8: Okay, okay. Okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to read some things that I wrote because it's so complicated that I'm not sure that I can just spin it off the top of my head, and so you'll have to excuse me. So, and what I'm going to do is sort of paint a picture by, by, by highlighting different things. So now I already made one point here. I made the point that part of the conception of God that underlies the Western ethos is the notion that whatever God is is expressed in the truthful speech that rectifies pathological hierarchies. And that isn't all it does. It also confronts the chaos of being itself and generates habitable order. That's That's the metaphysical proposition. And that that's best conceptualized as at least one element of God. And so I would think about it as a transcendent reality that's only observable across the longest of time frames, the longest of iterated time frames, to your point. So, so okay, so here's, here's some propositions, and they're complicated, and they need to be unpacked. So I'm just going to read them, and you're, that'll have to do for the time being. So God is how we imaginatively and collectively represent the existence and action of consciousness across time as the most real aspects of existence manifest themselves across the longest of time frames but are not necessarily apprehensible as objects in the here and now. So what that means in some sense is that you have conceptions of reality built into your biological and metaphysical structure that are a consequence of processes of evolution that, that occurred over unbelievably vast expanses of time and that structure your perception of reality in ways that it wouldn't be structured if you only lived for the amount of time that you're going to live. And that's also part of the problem of deriving values from facts, because you're evanescent and, and you can't derive the right values from the facts that port- portray themselves to you in your lifespan, which is why you have a biological structure that's like 3.5 billion years old. So God is that which eternally dies and is reborn in the pursuit of higher being and truth. That's a fundamental element of hero mythology. God is the highest value in the hierarchy of values. That's another way of looking at it. God is what calls and what responds in the eternal call to adventure. God is the voice of conscience. God is the source of judgment and mercy and guilt. God is the future to which we make sacrifices and something akin to the transcendental repository of reputation. Here's a cool one if you're an evolutionary biologist. God 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 is that which selects among men in the eternal hierarchy of men. So you know men arrange themselves into hierarchies and then men rise in the hierarchy and there's principles that are important that determine the probability of their rise. And those principles aren't tyrannical power. They're something like the ability to articulate truth and the ability to be competent and the ability to make appropriate moral judgments. And if you can do that in a given situation, then all the other men will vote you up the hierarchy, so to speak, and that will radically increase your reproductive fitness. And the operation of that process across long expanses of time looks to me like it's codified in something like the notion of God the Father. It's also the same thing that makes men attractive to women because men women peel off the top of the male hierarchy and the question is what should be at the top of the hierarchy and the answer right now is tyranny as part of the patriarchy but the real answer is something more like the ability to use truthful speech in the service of let's say well-being and so that's that's something that operates across tremendous expanses of time and it plays a role in the selection for survival itself which makes it a fundamental reality Jordan if
6: so, I can I just cut in here with one question Uh, stop with that for now what so I I was not hearing in that list of attributes a God who could care if anyone masturbated Uh, I was not hearing a God who depends on what else is stopping you from doing Sam Uh, Well, sorry I missed that I said it
8: depends on what else it's stopping you from doing
6: well, okay, so it's, it's yeah, important but seri- to live. But it's, it's important to do something other than masturbate. Yes. Uh,
8: yes, which, is, which, which actually uh, constitutes a problem yeah, which is, for many which, people. Which is
6: harder than it sounds. Yeah. Yeah.
8: Uh,
6: I'm not hearing a, a, a God, a personal God, who can possibly hear anyone's prayers, much less answer them right? And um, so I'm just, I'm wondering what percentage of religious people who, who would say, oh yeah, I believe in God and it's the most important thing in my life. Uh, what percentage of those religious people do you think have in mind a God of the sort you just described? I don't know, and- Sam. It's a good
8: question because when I go talk to people, when I, when I talk to people online and use exactly this terminology, millions of people listen. So it's not so yeah, obvious well, which what percentage of no. people see it this way. It's, it what may can, be that they have the intuitions, but they haven't been articulated well.
0: Yeah, I, I think um, this is a much more detailed but very harmonious um, conceptualization of God that, that I've had recently where I've said God is everything. <laughs> you know, it's, it's all that stuff. Um, which, thank you, Anthony, for reminding me or instructing me about pantheism and I love that Richard Dawkins calls pantheism sexed up atheism. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I think we'll spend some time with Bill and Tom talking about, uh, God, what God means to us. And I know the last time that, that Bill and I spoke, we talked about this, uh, a little bit, this, this past July or August, whenever that last conversation was. Um, but this will be an interesting part of the conversation. But, Of course, if you're using a word like God that other people have a different view of, then you run the risk of miscommunication and sloppiness. And that's something that is a concern to Sam Harris and I'm sure to several of of us as well. And I'm in there too. I don't know quite what to do with that. But so here's Sam's immediate response to what was just said where he's explaining his issue with it. And this will be the last clip. And then uh, hopefully we'll see you on Thursday night for this live SmackDown. Not SmackDown, but live
6: discussion. It's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, this is, this is the problem. I, this is what worries me about this. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you, you could do the same thing with the idea of, a, of ghosts, right? So, so people traditionally have believed in ghosts, it's, a, it's an archetype, you might say, the ghost. Survival of death is certainly an archetype. So they, and, and we know what most people most of the time mean when they say they believe in ghosts. And I say, I don't believe in ghosts. And you say, no, no, you, you do believe in ghosts. Ghosts are your relationship to the unseen. That's a ghost. So you, you have a, a, a new definition of ghost that you're putting in, in the place provided which I have to say, well, of course I have a relationship to the unseen, so I, yeah, I guess I do believe in ghosts. You know, you, you win that argument. Uh, but that simply isn't what most people mean by a ghost. Most yeah, people but you mean, can't use
8: that simplified argument about my conception but, but, of ghosts as an analogy for the propositions this, this that I just put forward. This
6: is what I see you do. I mean, maybe you have more to say on the topic of God, but this is what I hear you doing with God. You have defined the God that most people believe in, and we know this is the God that most people I believe in. I was asked what God I believed in. Not yes, what no, but I'm, a- I'm asking in. you what percentage... Yes, but you, you by shifting the, the definition, you have robbed the, the noun, the traditional noun, of its traditional meaning, and you're giving, you're imparting to people... Hey, a wait, sense, a se- wait a second, wait, wait, a, wait. a second. I, I'm both, not so what sure What do you mean yes. by
8: traditional meaning? Look... It's one of the one of the elemental claims in the Old Testament is that you're not even supposed to utter the name of God because by defining it too tightly you lose its essence. And so let's not be talking about what the classical definition of God is here, okay? It's a historical non-starter. Okay, though, and there's plenty of religions that Can make I it... can I check in with the audience?
7: Uh, is the audience all right with us continuing down this road? No. Okay. 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 So can I
0: Yeah, and they did continue down that road for several minutes, but we just don't have time to continue down that road for this discussion because there's already probably more clips here than we'll have time to really adequately discuss. But um, So Bill and Tom, I'll be sending this to you to listen to, to prepare, and again, any of you who want to join, these are the clips. If there's other things that you've listened to that two-hour conversation that you want to bring up that weren't covered in these clips, by all means, introduce them in the course of the conversation, um, just really am looking forward to this. So, uh, see you tomorrow night if you're able to make it. And if not, uh, please give some comments, uh, on this Patreon post and I'll read them in after the recording or maybe even during, maybe even during. All right. Thanks again for supporting Infants on Thrones.
2: Hi, this is Debbie from South Jordan, Utah. I've listened to Infants on Thrones since the first episode, mostly to hear Glenn.
4: Yeah,
2: I'm a true fan, mm. I enjoy his quick wit, yep. kind heart, and brilliant mind, mm. and that I haven't had to change his diapers for a very long time.
0: Despite all the shit.
2: My lived experience? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm his mom. You can comment on this episode on the website, InfantsOnThrones.com, and if you really like what you hear, Give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on
5: iTunes. I did.
0: Did you really? Anyone
5: for the closing prayer?
0: But did you really, though?
5: Not
1: yet, but I Oh, I'm for come on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones. See ya.